Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Jim Cornette Experience, where today the WWE has more speeches than a presidential election, and AEW has more injuries than a hundred-car pileup. All that, and a bunch more people and things that pissed me off this week. And joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He's an Olympic-level orator and a scintillating speechifier, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again as we are recording, and it is your show, and I'm happy about that. So that's all you got today. That's okay, very good. Thank you. Well, well, we'll check back with you in a couple hours. A splendid orator and a... Uh, <laughs> a scintillating speechifier and an Olympic-level orator. A speechifier, that's right. Well, because that's what wrestling is now, right? It's all about the speechifying. Yes, you've always had to talk them into the building, but now they've they've gotten rid of the pesky matches and they're just drawing money with the dramatic scenes and comedic interludes of the various monologues that they're being uh, delivered now in the program. For year-end voting, should there be a difference? All getting aside, should there be a difference between best promo and best speech? Well, yeah, because the, the competition for best speech would be I don't know about best. The competition in the speech category is certainly more uh, numerous because there's very few good promos, but maybe there should be two different categories because, and we'll talk about different kinds of promos later on today at some point in this program before the whole thing's wrapped up. Should best face-to-face promo be an award? Considering how often now we see that, either two guys in opposite corners of the ring squaring off or... Two guys just standing right in front of each other, squaring off on the mic. What about a best two-faced promo? How does that work? Where, where somebody comes out and goes into business for themselves and, <laughs> and double-crosses the guy where, that they're in the ring with. There's been several of those this year. That could be a category. See, maybe that's the key. Instead of making any of the wrestling awards about the wrestling, it should be about everything but the wrestling. It almost is now. Because the, the... I mean, you've got... Uncle Dave, who's almost ready to hop off the Titanic from what we hear, but he's uh, fostered the situation where all the people think that this is all just a bunch of, you know, video game haha, and the best wrestlers are the ones that do the most moves and utter the most comedy. So maybe they're. What about just separate categories for everything? Serious and parody. Again, a lot more competition in the parody column. Oh, yeah. Anyway, are you miserable about your weather, too, like I am? I don't know about miserable, but today's the day where it went from yesterday being almost 80 here to 50 and rainy and all the leaves are coming down. Yes. And it seems like that, based on what the weatherman's saying, that is our future. All the leaves are brown and the sky is gray. And we had a record high low on Friday. You see what I did there? You know what a record high low is, don't you? No, what's that? That's when the low of the day is the highest recorded low temperature for that day in history. So it was the warmest low that we ever had on on Friday, October 27th. And it's going to be in the upper 20s on Tuesday morning. When I was a kid at Hebrew school, we had a principal, Mr. Lowe, and we used to piss him off by saying, hi, Lowe. He didn't really like that too much. 
he was feeling mighty low. But anyway, we want to recognize, so before we, and it's raining here at least, finally. By the way, we're four inches short for the uh, for the year. You know, I'm happy about that, though. When it rains, that means the gardeners on the street are going to stay away. You know, the ones that we never hear. People hear them. The ones that we have no idea that they're even there, and you're losing your mind. You're losing your hearing, because they're so loud, it's just you can't hear it. You don't have that uh, ability to hear that octave, I guess. Well, do you want people to hear the gardeners on the program? No, we work very, very hard to get that audio cleaned up. Okay, we'll see. Well, my substandard hearing, according to your definition, allows me to just not hear them without having to go through all of that work. There's only a way I could replicate your hearing into some kind of plug-in. We'd really be onto something. Where are you plugging it? What orifice of mine are you trying to penetrate there? Listen. With your plugs. I'll talk to Stacy about this. We can move on with what you had on the agenda. I, we got a big announcement. Somebody in the family has had a new member of the family. One of our, our regular guest artists on the YouTube channel, George... What is, how do you say his name? Where is he from? Bolivia? I think he's from Australia. I think it would be livinitis. No. That's a disease you get of your living. That is not a disease Livinitis. I think that's, it may be a different pronunciation. I'm not exactly certain. But he's one of our fine guest is artists, a, a very popular guest artist. Is he related by marriage or any other type of thing to Laurenitis? No. No, thankfully no. Thankfully, we we no, wouldn't we'll, work with him. We would actually, when you're on the enemies list, we shun your family too. Yes. And anybody related to you by marriage. But George... And uh, George Laurinaitis and his lovely wife, who is not nope. named here on this. Livinitis. Well, again, that's your diagnosis, but you could get a second opinion. But he and his lovely wife, who are not named on this particular report that we got from the government agency that handles this type of thing, have just welcomed their second daughter, Angie, into this lovely, wide, wide, wonderful world we got. Congratulations, George and wife. That's right. Congratulations. Draw us a picture of the kid. I like how women don't even have names anymore. Nick Wayne's mom. George yeah, <laughs> George's <is> wife. wife. <laughs> well, you know, when you get four or five people and a woman hanging around, sometimes they're short <laughs> names. So did you see, and I know what you're going to say, but you got to say it in front of the people. Did you see Svengoolie last night on MeTV? On October 28th, the Saturday before Halloween, as we speak about it here. I saw the second half, the trilogy of terror, which I had not seen in many, many years. But I missed the first half, which was something we had just talked about, the Night yes. Strangler. Yes, and I couldn't believe it when I saw the listing a couple hours before the show came on. Last week, we were talking about, they aired the Night Stalker, the first Kolchak movie with Darren McGavin and... One of my favorites of all time. I loved it when I was a kid. Told that whole story, blah, blah, blah. And wouldn't you know who won the pony the very next week? I'd been mentioning the sequel, The Night Strangler, was potentially even better, and I liked it more, and boom, and you never see it anymore, and up pops The Night Strangler on Svengoolie. And that was the 8 o'clock airing, so I could stay up for that almost. I nodded off a bit in the middle on the couch, but Stace and I had a nice... Dinner from Roosters delivered and watched The Night Strangler. That's another one I watched on network TV, the debut with Mama Cornette. 1973. So it's the 50th anniversary. 
And it's incredible something like that was on network TV. And then you see something like Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black, and it's like, holy shit, how did this get on network TV? Yes, and that was a TV movie also. Yeah. And the only I number one, it was 1030. I couldn't stay up that late. Number two, I've just seen that here recently because they either we have we have it on dvd i know but i may have seen it on some other network but um but the night strangler you gotta certainly you dvr svenguli eight o'clock eastern on me tv on saturday nights i don't because it would fill up my dvr i do have abbott and costello meet frankenstein saved so i can watch that with the kids whenever we want what kind of substandard dvr do you have well, I have only so much space. There are other shows, and he's going to play the movies again, and some of the movies I have in my collection. Well, goddamn, watch it in the next week or two and then delete it, but that way you'd be up on everything. Up on everything from 1973? Well, up on everything that Sven's doing. I think I'm up on yeah. what he's doing. Well, apparently not, because you're not DVR in the program. You're missing the first half of the double feature there. Hey, in the middle of that doll trying to kill Karen Black? <laughs> 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 Try to get into the door. They had you doing the uh, Svengoli stomp. Yes, I I uh, I do remember because I think that's uh, that was in the last time they aired Trilogy of Terror. The stomp was in there. The best part is the excitement in your face when you realize you have a tennis racket. <laughs> at hand. Uh -huh. <laughs> I've discovered it. No longer just barefooted, but now. I've <laughs> All righty. Well, anyway, before we get into the main part of the program, uh, there's a few things that have been just pissing me off lately on television that I've been seeing, and some of it's local, some of it's worldwide or nationwide, but you know, we're about to have an election here in Kentucky, and uh, the governor and the attorney general and the, you know, the local state offices, and so of course the TV commercials are everywhere. And I got to say one thing, both of the political parties know their audience because you got we we're lucky enough to have a democratic governor Andy Bashir here in Kentucky even though it's infested with republicans because the last republican governor was such an asshole and a piece of shit that even the republicans didn't like him. So imagine how much territory that takes in. So We've got now a Democrat governor who is doing a wonderful job, Andy Bashir, and he's running against this fucking attorney general who's a Republican. And he, he's a black guy, but he's black in skin only. Because otherwise, he's an old and grumpy and conservative, a white fuck. He should be Mitch McConnell. They've transplanted some 70 year old white guy's brain in this guy. And he's on commercials and he's hugging on Trump. He's a Trump sucker. Kentucky's Trump country, Mr. President. No, it's fucking not. Not unless they send him to Eddieville, you asshole. Cameron's his name, by the way. I want to make sure everybody knows the assholes I'm speaking about. So they've been doing the commercials, but they also do commercials for the smaller offices. And, you know, county commissioner or whatever. And the Democratic ads. There are intelligent, well-spoken people, whether the candidates or just citizens that are extolling their virtues, and they're talking about the issue and the reason why that you should vote for them instead of the Republican because they want to do whatever batshit thing they want to do. But it's aimed at 
responsible, intelligent adults, the Democratic audience. The Republicans, I think Wilford Brimley is dead, but all Republican TV commercials in this state have some voiceover artist with the deep country accent like he's, you know, Jed Clampett, and he's talking to the rubes and the hillbillies and the suckers, and they're saying, Andy Bashir wants to cut your son's dick off and not tell you about it. And the county commissioners even, much less this attorney general prick, are trying to talk about, we're going to stand up to Joe Biden. And they show pictures of Andy Bashir shaking hands with the president of the fucking United States, which you would want the, the governor of your state to do. He's got friends in high places. And they say, He's a member of Joe Biden's agenda, and we're going to stop it. Like the goddamn county commissioner of Pixley is going to stop the president of the fucking United States. George Soros paid for his vasectomy. And then Cameron is, is bragging, I sued Joe Biden 21 times in court. No, you didn't, you fucking idiot. You filed legal injunctions to stop policies that Joe Biden was trying to put into effect to help people. Because you're a fucking Republican and that's what you do. You stop people from being helped. But you didn't sue Joe Biden. And you're not a fucking boil on his goddamn 80-year-old ass either. You little fucking hatchet-headed moron. But that's the election, so we're going to try to get rid of some more Republicans. We'll see what we can do. Why don't you enter the race as a third party and get like a Jesse Ventura groundswell and win? Because I'm, unlike the Republicans, smart enough to know that I don't need to be running this shit. Which is exactly why you should. No, I want the goddamn people <laughs> like Andy Bashir that are currently running this shit successfully to do so. And I want Joe Biden, bless him, I hope he lives to be a 97, if he's the only son of a bitch that can beat criminal pig-faced Donald Trump, I want him to keep running shit. Otherwise, I'll take a younger uh, Democrat. But what if you're the answer? That's what I'm saying. What if the answer is Jim Cornette? Then we're all fucked. Shit. But anyway, so that's Kentucky. Closer here to home, right here in Louisville, I don't know if I've mentioned this. I think I talked about it. It's been going on for a few months. And I've mentioned it maybe on one of the programs. There's a house here in Louisville, two houses actually, next door to each other, they found this fucking right-wing, gun-fetishist, militia-wannabe, delusional fuck. He owns one of the houses, but he couldn't live it in, it in it anymore because he had stockpiled so many dangerous chemicals and trying to make bombs or do whatever the fuck. Holy shit. That it's a goddamn environmental hazard. He moved into the vacant house next door and started squatting. And they caught him in some fashion. I can't even remember how they caught him. This is a few months ago. And they have been trying to figure out since then, not only where to put him to keep him out of goddamn society, but also how to get rid of these houses. They can't be clean. It was, are we going to burn it down? No, fumes in the neighborhood. Are we going to blow it up? Yeah. Are we going to tear it down piece by piece? It might blow up. They've been investigating this fucking thing, and now they're dismantling the both houses, I think, 
piece by piece and hauling shit out. They've got barricades all around it, right? For months. And this guy was living in a fucking neighborhood. But at least he didn't fucking make the news in a spectacular way like the guy in Maine did. For those of you around the world who still are gobsmacked to learn that Americans as a people are a very, very stupid, stupid fucking people. So for those of you around the world, another gun nut, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, this time in Maine, which apparently now we come to find out because they're real independent up there and it's rural and they like to go out in the woods and fuck trout fishermen, I don't know. They got almost no gun law, not even a red flag law. No background checks. Buy all the guns you want. And so this guy gets him one of these assault rifles and goes to two different places and kills 18 people and shoots however many more. was a couple dozen more. Who, who's counting at this point? And come to find out, wouldn't you know who won the pony? He's a right-wing lunatic, a gun fetishist, one of these militia fucks. He was a trained marksman, knows about living out in the woods. After he did this, he got away. And the manhunt went on for several days where they told people in a 700-square-mile area, stay home, lock your doors, and shelter in place. Even if you're not home, stay where you're at. For days, they couldn't find this fucking guy. And they never did find him alive. He killed himself. If he'd have wanted to get away, he probably could have. Because we're stupid. And his family, this guy's family, had told the, the whoever the officials are up there, whoever's running that fucking lunatic asylum, that, yeah, this guy just had a psychotic episode. He's had serious mental problems. He's a danger to himself and others, and he's got guns. They didn't do anything because there's no law that says if you're batshit crazy in Maine, the cops can come and take your fucking guns away because we're stupid. So there's your Republicans, folks. Your right-wing, gun-nut, conservative fetish speaking to the lowest common denominator of ignorant people because that's the only people that vote for them. And their big issue, oh, the borders are so open. The borders are so all the Mexicans and the gangs and the drugs are coming. No, the drugs aren't coming. We make the drugs here. The big pharmaceutical companies make the drugs here. We don't need to import them, except that you get away without paying tax on them if you bring them in illegally. And if the borders are open, I wish they had a revolving door because I'll take the fucking Mexican guy that wants to bring his family over here, live down on the corner and get a job doing drywall over the fucking lunatics that we've got right now. The gun nuts and the fucking right with the call is coming from inside the house. Conservative, religious, we just got a new speaker of the house who believes the Bible literally. This guy is the second in line of succession of the President of the United States, who is 80 years old, and the other guy that wants to be is 80 years old, and the new Speaker of the House thinks the Bible is a goddamn nonfiction documentary. He 
believes that the presence of gophers in the world today is due to Noah's Ark. He's a religious fanatic and a Trump sucker who tried to, along with the former criminal of the United States, overthrow the fucking election. And the Republicans just voted him to be the Speaker of the House. Give me the Mexicans, you take the fucking right-wing terrorists. We'll trade. You fucking morons. Have we all lost our fucking minds? They're not scared about climate change because they don't believe in science, so we'll all just goddamn breathe methane. And they're scared of gay people because they might try to kidnap your child when he needs to be in school where he can be shot like all good boys and girls. Because the answer to everybody getting shot is to give more of these people unrestricted access to guns. Can somebody get a therapist for these people? Any closing thoughts, Brian? Not really. All righty. The big sale at jimcornette.com is ongoing. If we make it to Christmas as a world, you got to have presents for the people in your life, right? So fulfill all of your holiday shopping at jimcornette.com right now and get not only the Midnight Express 40th Anniversary Action Figure 4-Pack Set with book, certificate, signed photo, and more, but the Jim Cornette action figures, the DVDs, the Cornette face t-shirts, the autograph pictures, Cult of Cornette membership certificates, the behind-the-curtain graphic novel. We've even got about another 100 Inside the Ropes magazines with my sparkling face on the cover. All of that at jimcornette.com. And the update again that I gave on the drive through is the feather bottoms are packing feverishly the uh, midnight four-packs and of the September pre-orders, over half of those have now been shipped. Several dozen more, at least, are packed and ready to go to the post office, and we're catching up. Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, we should be back to a quick turnaround. JimCornette.com. If we all make it to the holidays, somehow, if something else doesn't happen in this world that just drives us all off the edge of the fucking precipice, then make sure you get your family and friends and even some enemies some Christmas presents from jimcornette.com. All right. All righty. I, I hate to piss myself off, but I, it, it's all been happening all this week. And every time you turn on the TV, it's just ridiculous. And these people with their delusional fantasies are dragging the rest of us down with them. Anywho, speaking of dragging us down, Brian, last week on Monday Night Raw, <clears throat> again, we're not going to review this as a wrestling program today. We're just going to have a couple of observations because I, if you really want to know what happened on Raw for three hours, there are transcripts of the speeches available at the Library of Congress. I think if you send a self-addressed stamped envelope and 50 cents in postage stamps you can get the you know goddamn whole transcript of the thing but that's i i mentioned this on the drive through and we can talk about it a little more in depth the WWE is just slapping the shit out of Tony Khan with nothing 
but talking to each other and showing stars. Just having stars on the program and have them talk to each other. That's it's it's and the big matches are on the premium live events. And uh, I don't even know if I would say that all the premium live event matches are big matches anymore. No, I wouldn't say they are. Not all of them. I would say that some premium live events don't particularly have a big match. But you're not getting and, Roman Reigns on a throwaway SmackDown, is my point. Wrestling, a match. Yeah, no, but I'm I'm saying they've they've gone further than that because back in the old days, studio wrestling, squash match, you know, promo angle, that was somewhat of a an infomercial for the house show. So you could say that they were talking to you in the building and then, you know, you bought your ticket to the house show and you got the premium live event. But now it, 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 it doesn't really even matter except for the, the big four or big five pay-per-views got to have a strong main event and WrestleMania will be a couple deep because it's WrestleMania. And some of the premium shit that comes from Dubuque, you know, well, we'll stick Nakamura in the main event for 30 minutes. Let everybody ignore the last seven years. It doesn't matter anymore. This is, the people who are predisposed to like WWE, to, to like wrestling now, what they think that wrestling is now, primarily like WWE because maybe they don't even know it didn't used to be that fucking boring. But it's stars. It's the big show. It's a major production, and it makes some fucking sense. Some not good sense sometimes, but some kind of logical sense. You know what they're halfway doing, and that's that's all they got to do, I guess, because the Raw literally was a series of monologues and/or dialogues between people with matches sprinkled in that you wouldn't give two shits about if you were trying to watch this for the wrestling. Can you can you argue with that? I don't even remember if I saw Raw, actually. Well, and, and that's the thing, because once you see people standing there talking to each other every week over and over in many of the same combinations, it kind of blurs. But the Judgment Day came out. The first word uttered, I'm going to give you some statistics. I don't even really care what all the fuck they did. Finn and Priest come out for an in-ring promo on the season premiere from Dallas, Texas. Not even Hollywood. The first word uttered by the talent was five minutes in, and they wasted time, and they did idle chatter. And Priest said, the, the rest of the crew is in our clubhouse. It sounded like it was the fucking Bowery Boys. What is... So then <laughs> they talk for 90 seconds, and Cody interrupts. And he does a long entrance. It was two minutes later before the next word was spoken by any of the talent again. And then they go back and forth in a threatening verbal fashion. And then <laughs> they were making them out. You know, Cody wants to fight Priest, but Priest has a match tonight with Jay. Well, maybe it'll be Cody and Priest at Crown Jewel. Well, Cody accepts, but what do we do now? give them a preview and then they all jump and get in a fucking fight. And then JD Funko comes out and they try to hurt isn't Cody's it, leg. What? Isn't it Mick Funko? Um, well, it just, I'm it's cause 
actually, I'm tired of the Mick in there. Just JD Funko Pop. Okay. Whatever. They hit they hit Cody in the leg with a chair one time. The referees and agents come out and we're 15 minutes into the program. So now Cody's leg is hurt for later on. Okay, great. And I think and Jay came out and yeah, he did something else. I don't know. And then we get Otis and Gable against the New Day. By the time that's over with, we're 35 minutes into the fucking show. And they did a Viking video with a large supporting cast of the wait staff at Medieval Times. <laughs> then Seth <laughs> talked to Rhea in the back for almost four minutes in the just a one camera shot of them in the back in the hallway where at least Rhea sounds like an adult. Seth was just speaking weirdly, even more weirdly than Franklin usually talks, but Rhea's offering help. Seth wasn't interested. Rhea threatened him in a long winded fashion. Four minutes. And then they had more girls talking in the back. And then they had the NXT title on the line between Becky Lynch and Indy Hartwell, which went from 10 till 9 to 5 after. So they went over the fucking top of the hour with Becky and Indy. And then after that match, some Japanese girl in the, appeared at the monitor shot where Candy LaRue was watching the match and chopped her in the throat. And then Adam Pierce and Nick Aldis were in the back exchanging left-handed compliments and smart remarks, and they've got, you know, their issue going on. And they did a contract signing for a five-way girls match with Raquel and Zoe and Shayna and Nia Refrigerator Perry where every one of those girls, as soon as they walked in the ring, they signed the contract, and then Rhea's music plays. And she cuts a promo. And Pierce is trying to control her, and she's going to make his life a living hell. And the people are popping for her because she's the babyface in this, even though she's a heel. And then Nia tried to talk. And I swear to God, she was, it, it sounded, she's trying to talk like Moon Zappa while she looks like Plowboy Frazier. She was almost doing like a valley girl, the way you want me to crush you so that you... And then they all got in a sloppy girl fight and uh, scene. Uh, we're an hour and a half into the show. And then Johnny Sameface wrestled Leonardo da Vinci. And then there was another subtitled promo from Shaky Nakamura where he doesn't make any more sense reading it in English than hearing him speak it in Japanese. <sighs> Am I boring you so far? Because they were doing it to me. I mean, I didn't remember if I watched it. I didn't watch it. <laughs> and now I know why, too. What would you like to hear about the next dramatic monologue? How far into it are we? An hour 15? Hour and a half. Hour and a half. Logan Paul 
He comes, he's a hell of a heel. He is an obnoxious, prickish. I, I don't know, you know, all the typical verbiage you would use to describe somebody like that as a heel. And he can speak, he's glib. And he, he again, not, he must have hated that fucking guy he had the boxing match with because he's knocking him on the wrestling show. And well, you heard about he, what that guy did, right? I, I haven't, it's not my week to watch Logan Paul's life. What did, what did he do? Well, no, it got into the newspapers. This guy, and I'm not even familiar with who he is. He started releasing, I guess, videos and photos of Logan Paul's fiance with other men Uh, and like her apparently doing things years earlier with other men. And she sued him. In the build-up to the fight, not—I don't believe it was part of an. What? How the fuck did the, of all people in the world, the the opponent of Logan Paul that they're fighting in a fight? How did he lay his hands on this material? I think with some people, if you're not careful and you like to date celebrities or pseudo celebrities or trying to be celebrity people, whatever it may be, and you're letting them take pictures or film things, I think you run the risk of these things being passed around. People should be smarter. So that's why he's just ripping this guy to shreds. I think so. Because also well, I, saw, I saw the clips of the fight. It was a boxing match and Logan Paul was winning. And then like the guy started, you know, it was almost like a Piper versus Mr. T. Like the guy, all of a sudden Roddy Piper wants to body slam Mr. T. <laughs> and the guy like gave up. He's like, all right, this ain't going anywhere. So I'm just going to try some shit. And then it didn't work. Well, Logan Paul, anyway, he's a good heel. And he, he worked with the what's. It was it was great, but again, you know how much talking can you listen to? It wasn't bad. It just more talking. So then he starts promoing Rey Mysterio, and then the people actually start caring because I don't think most of this audience knew what the fuck was going on with this guy he was talking about. But nevertheless, then Dominic music interrupts, and Dominic comes out, and at that point, it's gone too far. It's gone too far. They started doing the thing where they turned Dominic's mic down and the the fans are cooperating. They know that's their cue to boo and they're turning them up. But now you, I know Logan Paul is knocking Ray and Dominic was going to come out and join that, but they can't say anything for long periods of time. And then as soon as Logan Paul might start saying something, they'd quieten down. Plus his mic is still up. But then if Dominic tries to do anything, same thing, I had to fast forward. Because you can't, it's, it's just, it's milking, constant, long, nothing's happening. It's getting old. What do you think? It's still working with the live audiences, even though they seemingly at times pipe it up, pipe it in, however you want to say it. We hear from people that, that go to these shows that say they're not doing it, but then there are other times where it just appears they have to be doing it. Well, that's what I'm, I'm not, saying that they shouldn't the fans should be told not to boo him and the, but I'm saying leave his goddamn volume up and let him yell and talk over the fans who are going to boo anyway but when it's it to the point where you can't understand what's being said and it comes to no point and it just goes on they're manipulating the levels let the people boo and let's hear him at the same fucking time they'll still keep booing the television audience could actually understand what's going on. Maybe That's they, my point. Maybe they should do something where Dominic finds a friend on the uh, production team and they start making the mic as loud as possible 
So then the fans have to hold their ears because it's just Dominic screaming over them as loud as possible. There you go. The old Mongolian stomper gimmick with the bad inner ear. <laughs> yeah, except the fans will be doing that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, so they called in Ricochet's girlfriend ring announcer and told her to preview the pay-per-view and announced Logan Paul as the new U.S. champion. And then Ricochet came out and tackled Logan Paul, and they had a fight. And Ricochet, who's five foot, what, four, 150? No, what is he? No, I don't come know. Come on, come on. He's, a, he's probably 5'8", 180. Okay, he beat up Logan Paul and Dominic and ran them both out, and they just left. Maybe he's 5'9". Maybe he's maybe he's six foot six and they've just got a funhouse mirror on him. He could be five ten. I don't know. They announced Kenny Omega is six two, which was the first time I heard that. Yeah. Nevertheless, we're an hour and forty-five minutes into the show. And we got Piper and Chelsea against Nikki and Natalia. And Nikki now her name is Nikki Cross. It was Nikki Ass, right? And where when she was a superhero gimmick and Yeah, but long pajamas she became that character the nikki ass superhero character but was she nikki cross before that and then she became that and she's back to nikki cross or was she a different name before that yes yeah she's yeah she's she's double crossed she's gone back and forth a number of times she maybe she had her fingers crossed behind her back anyway her new deal now is that she's nuts in some fashion and she stands on the apron staring straight ahead motionless, blank face, doesn't pay attention to the match. So why she's the partner, I, d I don't know. I'm sure that's when they were nattering in the back and I didn't care. But nevertheless, she was staring ahead blankly, motionless, like the fans in the seats for this match. And finally, she just, she just got off the apron and walked out and the heels beat Natty. And that was that. And then, just so we know where Drew McIntyre and Jey Uso stand, they were in the back talking to each other, and Drew was being a real smartass and basically says, whatever happens to Sammy is your fault. Because Drew is wrestling Sammy tonight, and the reason why Owens and Sammy aren't together or friends or whatever, because Jay came there, they can send the other guy there, whatever the fuck. Can you tell it's almost the 10 o'clock hour? I, I and, guess, yeah. And by the way, Pierce was arguing with Miz when Rhea came in and signed the contract, and then the camera followed her down the hallway to console Dominic. So at the point we got to the match with Drew and Sammy at the 10 o'clock hour, Sammy had been in the ring for 10 minutes for the people in the arena. I w you've almost, you've got time to have something out there but yet they just show people these endless fucking videos on screen anyway at 10 o'clock sammy and drew size versus speed and then drew kicked the shit out of him and then got thrown over the desk and they went to a break and they came back and they did a dive and they did a kick and they did a power bomb and just when i was thinking you know drew mcintyre is getting more interesting, his matches, his promos, whatever, as he's becoming a smart-ass heel. And this match wasn't bad, especially as 
not only WWE matches go, but as anything we've seen so far tonight. And then all of a sudden, they're having to... Drew gave him some big belly-to-bellies and nipped up and fired up, right? And I'm thinking, yeah, they're getting this fucking guy over. And then Rhea Ripley's music plays. What? And she comes to the ring... And Sammy gets a small package two count and then sets up for the kick. But Rhea gets up on the apron and draws Sammy's attention. And then he turns around and Drew hits his kick. One, two, three. So not only does Drew McIntyre need help from Rhea Ripley to beat Sammy Zayn if they're pushing Drew in this new fashion, but Brian, what about that finish didn't make sense? I don't know. Rhea Ripley started out to the ring to apparently distract the referee and help Drew McIntyre win the match. When Drew was kicking the shit out of Sammy and it just nipped up and fired up and was honing in for the kill. Why didn't she come out when Sammy was making his comeback? How does that make sense? She could see 30 seconds in the future. That if she didn't come out right at that moment, that 30 or 45 seconds down the road, it looks grim. Right now, he may be winning. That it doesn't, that the way that that was done doesn't make sense, does it? No. Doesn't but seem they like did it. it. But they did it. And then, would you like me to continue since we're having this conversation? Well, I mean, there can't be that much more left, can there? I mean, no, no, there's not. Uh, but nevertheless, there's talking because Aldous was in the back talking to haven't seen him in forever. Little darling Dagmar and Diamond Lil didn't know they were still at these were the two shortest female wrestlers I've ever seen that didn't work for Moolah. I don't, I don't know what their names were, but he was a foot and a half because Aldous is what? Six, five easily. Seems like it. He has a towering presence. He looked like Andre next to these two. And then Pierce came in and got mad at him for chatting up the superstars, and Nick decided to take off, and then Nikki Cross just wandered across the the shot, and everybody stared at her as she wandered by. And then Big Bronson Reed wrestled Tozawa. Tazawa is literally five foot six and 160 pounds. You cannot convince me otherwise. And Seth and Drew talk to each other more. And then, Brian, I don't know if DraftKings is on the program today. I don't believe they are, but would you like to put odds on how long it took from the this week, from the time of the first entrance of the main event participant till the time the bell for the match actually rang? 13 minutes. You are incorrect. They rushed it this week. Oh. They hurried it up. The bell rang for the main event between Damian Priest and Jay Uso a mere eight minutes after the first participant's entrance had begun. So here's, here's the two sentences that I wrote. Priest has good heel body language. Both of them are slap punchers with the open hands. It's killing me. And Uso hit a dive into break in two minutes, and I said, oh, fuck it, what's the finish at this point? 
And the finish was that Finn came down and drew the referee and Jay nailed Finn and then dove on him and then Finn nutted Uso on the ropes and then Priest did his finish one, two, three, and then they beat him up some more until here came Cody down the aisle limping with his bad leg that they had injured earlier in the show and got in a fight with, with Finn in the aisleway and then beat up Priest in the ring and went to break Priest's ankle and Finn pulled him out. So after three hours of this program, the last two minutes were actually good. You got it. I could see Dusty coming out with the fucking leg wrapped up and goddamn blood in his eye and to get even with the baby faces. There was two minutes of goddamn excitement on this program in three hours. And it was a Dusty Rhodes comeback. And that's, again, that's the thing. That's what we were talking about on the drive through this past week is the WWE is not only seen by the fans as the preeminent organization, but it is the preeminent organization in terms of their business and the way that that's structured. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about the creative. I'm not talking about the booking. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not over history. That applies to everybody. Their production, their marketing, their merchandising, the way that they make stars, the way that they don't let a lot of the guys that they have investments in damage themselves by indulging their own worst interests and being stupid, either in terms of hurting themselves or in terms of presenting themselves like fucking morons. They make stars, they have stars, they have access to stars. And even though this is some of the most boring fucking wrestling that anybody that's ever watched wrestling since the goddamn pre-television era when they did lay in headlocks for 10 minutes, even though it's that boring, it's making a fucking fortune and it's blowing AEW out of the water because AEW's office, I, don't, I know their television production at least the creative end of it is not run as professionally as Jim Crockett promotions was, but I think AEW's goddamn office is now the 2023 equivalent of 421 Briar Bend drive, Charlotte, North Carolina, a converted convenience store that housed Jim Crockett promotions with three full-time secretaries and four other people working in the building. And they were grossing $20 million a year in 1986. They just didn't have the infrastructure. You know, that's actually not even fair. It's a combination of that because you can't take away the pay-per-view success that AEW's had. Although, again, that doesn't take into account the money lost on a number of other things, including this bomb of a video game. Yeah, I mean, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, but go ahead. But it's more like TNA. And it feels a lot more like classic TNA right now than ever before. Just a bunch of shit thrown out there that will exist forever because... There's endless money to throw at it. And it's not going to go away for any of the traditional reasons that would make a wrestling promotion go away. <laughs> such as losing money. Nobody wanting to see the shit and it losing money. Yeah, such as no one attending your shows and losing money. 
you being able to just fly everyone everywhere all the time for shows that no one's paying to go to. Apparently, the big show is offering two-for-one tickets. Then we saw something that was buy three, get one. So there's all sorts of different deals going around. They they have not... They have the Yum Center in Louisville. Somebody tweeted the uh, ticket plan, the floor seating layout. Uh, they had the have the Yum Center for this coming Wednesday set up for, I believe... 4,900 people or 4,700 people or something. It's a 22,000 seat building for basketball. But they got it set up for 49 and they haven't sold 3,000 tickets yet. So they have, I think at the, they, they've got like 40 or 50% of their seating capacity sold, but they've actually sold like 12% of the capacity of the arena. It's it it's it's insane. That can't, and they're doing television with a big truck and satellite and live feeds and crew and production and catering and blah blah blah. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. If obviously with the payroll and all the other things involved, seven figures to do this fucking production. You know what else? Too the fans that actually do go and buy tickets. Those are the fans that support the product. Those are the fans that would buy lots of merch. Then they don't even have like a well-stocked merch stand anywhere. Or they'll have one merch stand with like five different designs of shirts and that's it. There are going to be more, and I know this is a tangent, we'll get back to the point in a second, but there are going to be more employees of the Yum Center stationed at places that are blocked off to public access than there are that are actually going to be working where the the general public, the paying customers are coming in and being seated or whatever because of the the size of that building and how are you going to constrict? You can't, if, can you imagine? My God, this used to be done every once in a while in some of the major arenas, especially ones that might have the end of it curtained off and when there was a half a house. Can you imagine if you put the wrestling fans of the old days at least in a 20,000-seat building, there's only 2,500 people in it. Most of it's blocked off. They'd be fucking in empty bathrooms. They'd be getting drunk and doing who knows what kind of fucking substances in the aisleways. Yeah. So they're going to have a large crew working in the Yum Center that Tony Khan will be paying for to keep the small amount of people away from the large amount of places they're not supposed to go. Nevertheless, I digress. That's the point. Whether it's beating Crockett because he was running an office out of a convenience store, whether it was beating TNA because Dixie, whether it was beating anybody he's beaten, it's a more professionally run business. The wrestling product only occasionally, actually, has been better than the competition. But to... <laughs> And that's what we're saying. This is, again, boring. Well, well, that's the problem, though. You know, and SmackDown's a better example, because SmackDown being two hours, it moves along better. SmackDown's a better show than Raw. Yes. But it's just the stars. It's not about any of the matches. It's about what are the stars going to do and when are the stars going to be on the show. And those moments work with those fans. AEW, and we'll talk about it, had this collision show where... Suddenly, it was Omega versus MJF, which would be a really big match. 
they stacked the rest of that show with garbage. It's like how are you supposed to get how are you supposed to get anyone excited in this product? Look at how they you ran, booked these cards. They ran the diners off with the rancid appetizers before they got to the fucking filet mignon. But, but it was actually supposed to be filet mignon, turned out to be horse meat, but we'll get to that. But that's the problem. There is no, you know, look, WWE will always fuck with their competition, at least as long as Vince is alive, and probably far after that. But there is no competition right now. WWE is miles above AEW worldwide. And AEW is floundering. And even the most diehard AEW fan is seeing it now. AEW feels more like late WCW and early TNA than it does AEW. Hold on. I'm, I may be going to take issue with you here for a second. But I've got to, uh, I got to just, okay. Flood, flop, flora, florida. I'm trying to find floundering. Q-R-S-T-U. Flounder. To move or thrash about clumsily, to act or proceed in confusion. I don't know if now is this the next stage after floundering? Are they spiraling? After you flounder and flail about, wouldn't you then begin the suction of the drain is calling? All right. But th th that's the point, and, and you made it perfect. <laughs> At various points, we've said to ourselves in this adventure over the past few years, you know, AEW, they, they might be making a run at this thing. At least, boy, it's looking up. It's maybe the better program. And then they would shoot themselves in the foot or something would happen. And then every once in a while, the WWE would be like, what the fuck are they trying to lose this thing? It's almost like they're putting them over. They're handing them shit. And, but then they would rebound and the bloodline and the blah, blah, blah. But now it's, neither show is easy to watch, but there's a clear winner because at least they're focused and they're professional and they don't, what was it? Thez said, I will brook none of your shenanigans. <laughs> and they don't brook a lot of shenanigans over there in Stamford anymore. <sighs> you know what? Honestly, Brian, especially now more than ever with these, these programs just lulling you, lulling you into a somnambulistic state. You know what you need, don't you, to be able to watch wrestling on TV in this day and age? What's that? You need, you need the perfect sleep chair. That's what you need. I, I could use it right now, apparently. <laughs> yes. Apparently you could. See, I was, I was going, you need the perfect sleep chair, and then you'd jump in, and it was just it, my whole timing. But I'll tell you, did I tell you what I did? I haven't told the folks out there. I got the perfect sleep chair. I mentioned that when we've done their spot before, but and, and I said it goes up and it goes down. It goes up, it cools down. It what it was? I got the perfect sleep chair. I got the perfect sleep I don't know chair. What you're See, doing. Just, no, you're ruining the spot. You should stop I'm, your singing and your and your snapping I'm, and your I'm brainstorming their their music now for the uh because it heats up, it cools down. I got the perfect sleep chair. I got the perfect. That's our new spots. But what I did with my perfect sleep chair that heats up and vibrates and sits up and lays back and reclines and moves in an infinite number of positions, I gave it to my cousin Larry because he got out of the rehabilitation facility last week and he was at his house and, and 
still because you know what and this is all in all seriousness they used to say it on the wrestling programs we're gonna have a main event today for all you sick and shut-ins but we have not talked we've just talked to the lazy portion of our audience the part that wants to be not only comfortable but positively sloth-like as they sit and veg out and watch tv but this thing is therapeutic if you have a member of your family that has you know, issues with being able to get up and down by themselves and they need to move around, but still while they're in a chair, this is perfect because now instead of the recliner he had that he had to crank the thing and uh, the feet would go up and the back would go back and that was it. Now, if if he wants to put the feet up and lay the back down at the same time or one or the other, he can do that. It tilts you up into all kinds of positions. And it's making it easier for him to change his positions while he's still weak and, you know, is, it needs to be supervised when he actually stands up and moves around. Because if you've been in bed for weeks and weeks, it takes a while after an illness like that for your muscles to come back. So that, hmm. uh, according to what he said, it made a, a big difference and is something that we might consider for those of us in our families or social circles that are more than just couch potatoes and actually need to be chair bound for some period of time. Oh, thanks a lot, Mr. Killjoy. Why don't we talk about all the fun things you could do in the perfect sleep chair? Well, no, well, it's You can not, go it's... back, you can go forward, you can, what'd you say? You could heat, you can cool, you could vibrate. Ooh, now, yeah. now, now you're running. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah, heat up, you cool down. I got the perfect sleep chair. I got the perfect sleep chair. I got the perfect sleep chair. But they don't skimp on quality. And it's available in fabrics of all kinds, including genuine leather. <laughs> For those of you in the audience who may not only be homebound, but incontinent. <laughs> so it's easier there. And they've sold more than 100,000 perfect sleep chairs, uh, the folks at Journey Health and Lifestyle. So you know, there's a bunch of people, apparently, are pissing themselves over this thing. And they deliver the chair directly to you so you don't have to worry about packing this th thing home from the store. They brought mine right in, lifted the top of the box off, and anything that comes out of a box is over. You know that. So whether you want the therapeutic heat or the vibration to soothe aching or weakened muscles because of some debilitating condition, or you just want to crank back in this thing and stuff Twinkies down your neck until you vomit, you can do either one you want. It's the perfect sleep chair. And you can, once again, make yourself, uh, uh, do yourself a favor in the holiday season. Not only is it going to be cold for most of you out there, well, this thing heats up. But also, when you're watching wrestling, you don't have to get up and go to bed when you've already gone to sleep. You can just be there. Just And you don't even need a blanket. It's got heat. So. All you got to do is head over to shopjourney.com. That's shopjourney, as in the band formerly starring Steve Perry. Shopjourney.com slash JCE and use the promo code JCE for $125 off the order of the perfect sleep chair. hundred Is that the largest cash discount that we have ever offered here on the program? You've asked that before, I think so, just because I can't imagine, unless you buy like thousands of dollars worth of stuff using a promo code to get a 
allotted percentage as a discount. Well, yeah, but this is a minimum guarantee. See, that's oh. different now. We're talking about the old days, the way they paid the wrestlers on the percentage, but this is a guarantee. You're getting 125 bucks off of what you oh. order. I would leave WWF for this deal. Well, there you go. Sign the papers now, folks. Uh, you don't even need Barry Bloom to represent you. Go to shopjourney.com slash JCE. Use the promo code JCE at checkout. $125 off your order for the perfect sleep chair. And you can do more than sleep in it. We've established that. You can, you can sleep. You can eat. You can watch TV. You can bump uglies with your significant other. And if you get the leather one, well, then you can, you can probably just go wherever you need to go and worry about it later. Shopjourney.com slash JCE. Use the promo code JCE at checkout. A wonderful chair, the perfect sleep chair. That's right. Well, thank you, little Sir Echo. I really like that chair. I want to make sure that people know well, that we're really endorsing it. When nobody was questioning you. Well, you would no hold downbeat. Oh, if you're an invalid and you have no legs. And well, you no, need, I was, I was suggesting to other place. people. He's got legs. Oh. He's got legs. He knows how to use them. If your life isn't He's bad enough, legs. I'll sing. Yeah, he knows how to use his legs. Okay. Well, perfect sleep chair. And she knows how to use hers, too. Who? She, that she's got legs. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, well I'm just saying, whether, whether you're, whether you're able-bodied or feeble-minded or whatever you are, you can get something out of the perfect sleep chair. It, I'm that's just, right. I'm just, it's for everybody. It's There's for no, everybody. It doesn't discriminate, Brian, over race or creed or color. What is a creed? What, hold on. Let me look. I guess up. perfection is really what it, implies that it's perfect for everyone it, that's why they named it it's perfect and it's for everyone because everyone sleeps right everybody sleeps yeah everybody poops everybody sleeps these are common things well it's perfect for everybody then i still can't find creed let's see what exactly is that creed a formal statement of religious belief all right then yeah we don't discriminate at the perfect sleep chair you don't against work there. any race, creed, or color. They discriminate against people pretending they work there. You don't work there. Well, I feel like I'm one of them because I'm, I was at one with one of their chairs for about a week till I gave it to my needy cousin. I feel like I'm now a he's needy. of theirs. Now he's needy. Yeah, well, he was, say he was needy, needy in before. need of a chair. No, he's got plenty of money, but he didn't have a goddamn good chair. Now he's got a goddamn good chair. See, sometimes rich people <laughs> that can afford anything they want still would not know that this thing was a thing that was available until somebody else gives them that thing. So give me that, give me that, give me that thing, because it's the best. Or, you know, Rich Cousin could just use the promo code. What's that one more time, Jim? JCE at shopjourney.com slash JCE. And this is your show. All right, I guess now that we've covered the first half of the week in WWE, we should move on to SmackDown, which was moved... This week, it was on FS1 because of what's going on in the World Series. Are you, are you boys in there? You know the Mets are not in the World Series. I don't know. I, you it, know that. Come I put on. It, if you tell me is the only way that I know the Mets are living on this planet is when you tell me, and I put it completely out of my mind immediately because I don't give two flying French fried titty fucks. However, I thought I would be conversational with you and one of your Outside wrestling interests, and so are your are your boys playing the ball games? Just an 
innocent question. First of all, let's go Mets. Second of all, my boys are preparing for next season where we're going to be back out on the field and kicking back butt out. and winning back games. Where they're going to back out? The World Series right now is between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers, and it's two games in. They Wait bust. a minute. They've split a it. Arizona Diamondbacks? Yes. Are they new? Yes, they came into the league in 97. Well, I guess that's relatively new. 26 years. I haven't heard much of them. Have they made a big stir up until now? They won the World Series in 2001. Hmm. But haven't done much since, I guess. <laughs> well, so, they, they haven't done much since. Apparently, they were a one-hit wonder. It came in, big splash, Orson Welles type of thing, won the World Series four years in, and then kaput, bupkis. Well, yeah, Buck Showalter built them a team, then they fired him, and then they won the World Series the next year, which has happened a few times. And then actually he went and managed the Texas Rangers, who, again, have never won the World Series. I think this is only their second World Series ever. And I didn't ask about Texas. I've heard of the Texas Rangers. I haven't heard of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm talking about the baseball team, not the real Rangers. I, we, I used to have a few of those guarding me. In world class. Rosie, he was an ex-Ranger. One riot, one Ranger. But anyway, so speaking of riots, they didn't have any in Milwaukee this week, Brian. Not a single goddamn nobody came over the rail. There was nobody trying to assault anybody. It was a good old-fashioned audience that sat down to watch the Broadway play that they brought uh, for SmackDown on October 27th. And again, you've got your, what was it? One, hold on, two. In this show, since they're only two hours, you've really only got your two big live interviews. On Raw, it's three, and then they sprinkle shit in, in in between it. But at least here, we've got a lot of bloodline stuff going on. We had Roman and we had Paul, because this network TV, they only show up for the the big hoop-to-do's. But uh, I wonder, have you ever wondered, because I certainly have a professional, cur uh, professional courtesy, professional curiosity, I wonder how far along and how detailed They've had this bloodline thing planned out all along. I wonder if they did the old deal where they figured it out all the way to what they want to be the end, like Vince used to do, and then worked backwards. Ha ha. I wonder if they at least had a storyboard where, okay, every month at the pay-per-view, we're going to build to these matches for six months, and then we'll fill in the details on TV, but these are the the big happenings, who's going to go, who's going to come, who's going to win, who's going to lose. Or I wonder if they're just pulling it out of their ass as they go along week to week, and every once in a while we notice that they didn't have, they had a, an empty ass that week because nothing really happens. Or, one more, and I'll let you answer that, do you think that every couple of weeks Heyman just wanders into the writer's room and puts his hand up on his chin, and in his Paul Heymanish way goes, what would it be like if so-and-so said such-and-such to so-and-so, and then so-and-so responded That's in such-and-such such fashion? Well, because I can't do Heyman. So what did you do, a, a British man? What is this? I don't know what I'm doing. But you know how he does that. He just goes, well, what if so-and-so and this and that? And they just take notes. 
Do you think that's how they're doing it? How are they doing the bloodline thing with all these twists and turns and comings and goings that they haven't really tripped over their own dicks yet? Well, I guess a bigger question, other than do you think Heyman is asking questions like this? <laughs> no, the bigger question is, do you think there needs to be a firm, big ending? You know, does it have to be some kind of big blow-up end of the bloodline altogether? Is it something that, and I'm not saying uh, the NWO lingering for years was a good thing, but is, is it no. something that lingers, or is it something where you need a big blowout, Roman lost, he's never coming back? Well, no, I'm not talking about you know, boom, the entire cataclysmic saga has come to an end, the world has been righted, and all the heels have been banished to the Phantom Zone. But at some point, it, all stories have to come to an end, at least in terms of being the focal point. Is the Judgment Day maybe going to take over at some point from the bloodline? Will Roman finally get the match with The Rock and then go to Hollywood? Will there just be nothing more to feature with these people interacting with each other and they need to be spread out to have a new group to play with. So it doesn't need to be boom the end credits, but it needs to be, okay, we kind of got everything that we wanted to get out of this at the end and now we're going somewhere else. You see what I'm saying? So with that, I mean, they don't have to write a firm end, but you would have had to have had as a as a writer, as a booker, as a show planner, you would have had to have some kind of skeleton framework of this. You couldn't just make it up week to week because you would, you'd get tripped up a lot. They had to have some kind of plan. And yet the thing is nowhere near ending because there's nothing to replace it. There's nothing that you could slot in to replace that, I don't think. The judgment, they do what they can on Raw, but it's a different animal altogether. Yeah. But anyway, but while it's running, while it's going, that was the first thing we saw. We we're going to see a contract signing for Roman Reigns and L.A. Knight at um, Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia. And here comes Roman and Paul and making their big entrance. And they barely get halfway down the aisle when L.A. Knight music hits. And he walks right past Roman, doesn't even look at him. And then as soon as L.A. Knight gets in the ring, here comes Paul. He's in the ring. He's rearranging the chairs so that Roman can sit at the head of the table. But as soon as he does that and turns his back, L.A. Knight sits in Roman's seat. And so, again, everything that Paul's involved in, little details, it's so good. And L.A. Knight is over like crazy, and Roman is, you know, not only the biggest box office traction regular in the business today, uh, if The Rock comes back, he might beat him. But he's not only auditioning for Hollywood, he's doing a good job of it, isn't he? I mean, he's a level above everybody with reactions and facial expressions and any kind of portraying himself as an potential budding action movie hero, whatever. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I think we've said it before. He's really good in this role, but I don't know if he'll ever get a role this good ever again. He's been that good in this role. But why couldn't somebody in Hollywood say, well, either there is an existing superhero that we'd like to fucking cast or look at this fucking guy. Can't we Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger his ass? Because movie stars don't look like that anymore. Talk about the wrestlers looking like a bunch of scrawny little fucking pipsqueaks. The goddamn movie stars don't look a lot better, most of them, these days. So you can do something with this fucking guy. Anyway. What name does he use? 
Well, that would be interesting because obviously they've got his name uh, copyrighted, but again, Dwayne Johnson was Dwayne Johnson and became The Rock again. WWE, Endeavor, uh, big-time Hollywood. They, they all want to work together at some point. They could probably work these things out because that it, it will correct me if I'm wrong, but if the new owners endeavor for however long they own it are so wrapped up in Hollywood and all entertainment and they got that big flywheel, wouldn't it be as valuable to them to call the fuck his real name is? I can't even remember him. Roman Reigns. Joe. As it, Joe, Joe Anawai, I think. Okay, well, there you go. You want Joe Anawai or you want Roman Reigns? For either side, it means money for both. I'm sure they could work that out. Vince didn't own the movie studios when The Rock left him to go to Hollywood. But then he became such a big star anyway that Vince got value out of having The Rock be the biggest movie star in the world. Until The Rock got tired of that and then just started calling himself Dwayne Johnson. And then when Vince finally lost the leverage, somehow he got the right to use The Rock back. There you go. But nevertheless, um, so Nick Aldis was presiding over this, and it was great. L.A. Knight was cocky. Roman was condescending. Have you ever even had a title match before? Have you ever done a contract signing? Uh, that kind of stuff. But then they both signed the contracts, and did you, Aldis, he... Uh, I like him being this prickish fellow, and I'm interested to see where it goes, but he says, okay, my job's done, and he just gets out of the ring <laughs> and leaves the the talent to sit there, okay, are we, you know, are we done here? And L.A. tells Roman, I'm on a first-name basis with him, to acknowledge him and cut a real good promo on their match, trying to sell their match. Imagine that. Instead of trying to shoot about somebody he's pissed at in real life or do a double-meaning promo for the wrestling websites. He tried to sell tickets for his main event he's involved in. And then Roman turned the table over on him and kicked the shit out of him. And I swear to God, they can't even, even in the goddamn promo segments and the angles and the contract signings, he just turned a table over on him then he gets out of the ring and pulls out another table from the goddamn underneath the ring. And he pulls it out. It's right next to the table that he just turned over on him and threw out of the ring. You know what was nice, though? When he pulled out the table, you didn't hear anyone chanting, we want tables or popping for it. They were booing no. it. They didn't yes. want to see it. And even if they weren't booing in the arena, we don't know. They were smart enough to pipe in booze. And then that's where he's taken time to set it up. And I thought at that point, that's where the whole thing went flat because he's, they got to play with the furniture. And then, shock, L.A. Knight makes a comeback while Roman has wasted his time setting up a table out on the floor next to the table that he just dumped out of the fucking ring. And then Jimmy Uso comes in and stops L.A. Knight so Roman can roll out, and then L.A. Knight puts Jimmy through the fucking table. And scene. So I'm with it. I was with it the whole way until he turned the table over on L.A. Knight and kicked the shit out of him. That's great. 
And then why couldn't he just goddamn slip on a banana peel and let L.A. Knight start to make it? But here's Jimmy. And then Roman can roll out. And then Jimmy can uh, goddamn try to do something, and L.A. Knight can hit his finish on him or even throw him over the ropes through a table. But they've just they've got to even stop the momentum of the angles while they got you hooked as a TV viewer to fool with the fucking furniture. Your thoughts? Unfortunately, that's a part of modern wrestling that we have to accept until some brave soul changes it. But it was nice to know that the fans didn't just automatically pop because a table would be involved. The fact that the heel was going to use the table yes. on the babyface caused them to not pop for it. The, the AEW crowd would cheer Jack the Ripper when he pulled out his blade. The AEW fans would have been chanting, we want tables, as soon as they saw the table. <laughs> So it was nice Ugh. for that, and they're putting L.A. Knight up there with the main event people, and it's working. The fans are still popping big for him. He's working the room really well. They do his yeah for him when he doesn't do it. This was really good. Well, and, and as a matter of fact, at one point here, he, even, he started, he gave him a line that they would have said yeah for, but he held his hand up real quick, and he said, not yet. <laughs> That's right. You. That's right. So uh, he's a conductor. Anyway, speaking of conducting, the next car contained these passengers, Carlito and Escobar against the Street Profits, with Rey Mysterio watching on the monitor. And basically, <laughs> they had a match. Logan Paul, out of nowhere, in the back, jumped Rey Mysterio while he was watching the monitor. But of course, in the arena, while there's a match going on, and the match is on the, the big screen, like it would always be, they apparently popped the backstage video of Ray watching the monitor on the screen in the arena so that the wrestlers involved could see that Ray had been jumped, and then Carlito, apparently suffering from a, a hernia or some type of Something afflicting his mobility kind of half-assed jogged <laughs> to the back. because Escobar's like, you go, you go, I'll stay here. And Carlito goes, well, okay, at least I got out of that. And he's kind of trotting back. And the two heels beat the one baby face. What was he going to do to run back there? Mysterio was already unconscious. It reminded me of his reputation the last time he was there. Go do something. Okay, I'll just jog over here. And yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be right there. I'll be there directly. They had an explanation when he came out there. It was like some stupid... It was like, Rey Mysterio was supposed to be in his match, but Carlito decided to give him the night off. What, no, it, it was that, that um, <laughs> fucking Carlito wanted so much to participate in this or help or prove point or get even or whatever that okay ray gave him his spot so ray could stand in the back and get jumped by logan paul and by the way can i say escobar that's a friend you want i want this guy to be my friend he's a good guy yeah i'll fight these two guys right now you go run back there and see if you can comfort our friend after he's already <laughs> got the shit kicked out of him escobar's cool with me so then we were back in the bloodline locker room thank god and Rome and Paul's there selling the Green Bay Packers belt, right? The the deal that the WWE has entered into with the NFL, they got the Green Bay Packers title belt, and so they can knock Wisconsin. Even though 
I, they did boo, but I was told when I used to go to Milwaukee that Green Bay is far, far up from Milwaukee. And even though it's, that's where you'd get the real heat on the Packers is there in Green Bay, which is colder than a well digger's ass most of the time, by the way. But anyway, Jimmy comes into the locker room. He's been in the trainer's room because he got put through the table. And Roman said, what are you doing? I was running the play. Well, you ran the wrong play. Well, I called an audible. Well, Roman tells Jimmy, you better handle this shit tonight. And Jimmy's like, well, I'm on the injured reserve list. And he said, what? I'm off the injured reserve list. I'll handle it tonight. And Roman tells Paul to go out and get the match made. So that's the only thing that's, you keep me hanging on. You don't really entertain me. You just keep me hanging on. Oh, God, that's not vanilla fudge. That's vanilla shit. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> in the... Uh, <laughs> I got nothing for that one. In the... <laughs> Ed Sullivan, and now here they are. Vanilla shit. Oh my God, I was watching the other day when he had Paul Revere and the Raiders on. It's one of the greatest performances ever because like Mark Lindsay's just, they can't even keep up with him on the camera. He's like bopping all over the place. And Ed Sullivan goes to commercial, he goes, Revere Raiders will be back yeah. if they're worried about a fine product. <laughs> it's a really big raid at the Revere. So in the back, speaking of really big raids, um, Logan Paul cuts a heel promo about Rey Mysterio and then walks away and passes. Of course, the camera follows you every time you quit talking. And he passes Kevin Owens and Kevin Owens, and he exchanged some, Owens is wearing a Rey Mysterio shirt. So there's a displeasantry there. And then Owens starts walking and the camera follows him and he runs into Austin Theory and Grayson Waller. And immediately they start arguing about whether Owens could punch both of them in the face at the same time. And while they laugh about the idea that he could do that and stand conveniently close together, he comes from off camera and does that and knocks them both on their ass with one punch. So now we're doing fucking Laurel and Hardy back here in this shit. And then. Dragon Lee talked to everybody, and then Cedric Alexander came in and talked to him. And then a bunch of girls talked to Nick Aldis in the back. You get where I'm going with this? I hear what you're talking about, yes. And then Shotzi wrestled Chelsea. And the first minute of this, because I morbidly I could not look away, it looked like a wacky, waving arm, inflatable tube woman wrestling an octopus. They were just all over the fucking place. And so then it, what, it was just, they were just everywhere. It was fucking ugly. All right. It, well, SmackDown rolls on. And one, and one of the girls was wearing one anti-gravity boot just to throw them off fucking kilter even worse. And, <laughs> and every time the other girl shot her off into the rope, she was running uphill because the ring was tilted. So... At 57 minutes into the program, they got to perk up the uh, audience they're going to get at the top of the hour. Here comes John Cena. 
and a people go batshit. As he's a, a movie star and a international man of intrigue, a, a yacht broker from Toulon, France. And he cuts, again, he could run for fucking office and win, especially with the goddamn lay of the land these days. He's got the humble Cena down. He's got the fired up Cena down. He's got the genuine, sincere Cena down. And he brings him in. He cuts a promo on his 20-year bond with the fans and how much they've meant to him and he, this is meant to him and a blah, blah, blah. But after 20 years, is he, is he on the verge of losing their love and respect? What if he doesn't still have it? And he says this, enough of this to the point where, of course, they chant, yes, you do, yes, you do. You've still got it. He draws them in, and then he fires up like, like wildfire Tommy Rich. And he fucking gives them the fired up promo. There's one thing to do at Crown Jewel. Win. It's a must-see event, and I must win. I promise you victory. And he, and he sold the goddamn issue and the match. And then, when he can't do anything else besides promise to drain himself of blood if he fucking loses and they're popping like crazy here comes paul Heyman, and he grovels his way into the ring and you know he does that they were all respect and everything he doesn't want to get in a physical confrontation he's being very deferential might be a word and did you notice that to, at on this show it looked like not only he's gone back from gray hair to the black Sharpie like last week, but now it was more brown, kind of drawn on like grease paint, like Groucho Marx's mustache, where it wasn't just two or three wide black bands, but it was a solid brown encasement. What do you make of that? Again, his tribal chief is back. His hair gets darker and thicker. Because the tribal chief is there. Well, he gets thicker, there. too. Well, I mean, the thickness of the coloring, it sounds like, is all globbed together. Well, no, before it was globbed together and darker. Now it's now it's almost like a Vince McMahon tie fucking Penelope pit stop to the railroad tracks brown, but it's it's more voluminous. Could he pos Could he have Wahoo McDaniel spray on hair? Anything's possible in WWE. Well, that, I've heard that. So Paul thanked Cena for being in the business for 20 years and drawing all the money, all the sellouts. Thank you for the house, John. And of course, he reminded everybody that he's the one that picked John Cena in a first round draft pick from OVW. And he gave him some more backhanded praise. But now, unfortunately, John, you've pissed off the bloodline. And so now all this is going to be taken away from you because he talks about Cena's, you know, speaking ability. And he said, you know, even when the athletic gifts might wane, you, you could always talk, but now Solo's going to take that. And this was, again, this was brilliant because that if people can go, yeah, he's right. Fuck, Cena's an actor now and he's not going to wrestle too much longer. And what if he couldn't talk? Blah, blah, blah. So he's going to take John Cena away from the fans Solo is with the fucking spike to the throat and make it so Cena can't speak anymore. This is like an updated version of breaking Robert Gibson's fingers so he can't talk to his mother. And Paul, finally, the go-home line, this is a 
match that you must win, but you can't win. And that's not a prediction, that's a spoiler. And then Solo jumps Cena from behind, boom, 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 spikes him. Cena sells it big, music plays, and the heels walk out. And the only thing that I hope is that we do not hear again from John Cena that he has the power of speech until after this match at Crown Jewel, because that would kind of flatten that whole thing out quite a bit, wouldn't it? I don't want to see another one of these kind of John Cena promos for a little while. (laughs) Nothing against this, and it worked for the room, obviously. Everyone's with him. But we just saw the one last week, and now this. I don't want to see any more sad face John Cena promos for a while. Sad John. Big sad John. Big Big sad John. Every morning at the mine, you could see him arrive. He stood six foot two and weighed 235, kind of broad at the shoulders and narrow at the hip, and everybody knew that he wasn't going to do no job. Big sad John. Well, he'll do a job. I'm just playing. I'm just making that shit. Actually, he's, you know he's, that he's big, nice John. Actually, when you big, nice John. <laughs> that will probably we will know. And I think, you know, the strike is still up in the air. Whatever was seen going back to acting, but he'll probably put Solo over because I think that would probably be the most important thing to the, that he could do during the period of time that he has left. Whatever, unless it's lengthy, that he could do. Wouldn't you think? You would think, and I do think Solo needs a win, because even though it hasn't really hurt him, he has been, either he's the guy taking a pin, or he's just not winning. So I think it'd be nice to see him actually win something. Big. The street champion should actually win something in the ring instead of just the street, right? Unless we're going to see it on the street. Well, we haven't seen it on the street, we have to take their word for it. All right. You know what else we're going to take our word for? No. That Dragon Lee wrestled Cedric Alexander, and that happened. And then Bianca Belair was in the ring for another promo about Bailey and her group. And she did it and left. I, 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 it's getting late. We need to get to the meat of the matter. Good promo. She said that she's not going to be coming to the ring skipping and forget. Like Usually she... Let's things go off her shoulder, and she just skips and smiles. She said everything we talk about here on the show, but now she's really mad at damage control. And next week, I think next week, she wants EO Sky for the title. But didn't she skip and smile on her way to the ring? I don't remember the introduction. Well, I don't, I don't, fast actually, forwarding, I saw well, a great deal of skipping and smiling. Listen, for the record, I don't know if she denounced the idea that she will ever skip and smile again, but she's kind of saying the time for skipping and smiling is over because then of these why people. had she just skipped and smiled? Well, she, you know, in real life, it was coming together to her mentally in real time. Like as she was standing there in the ring, she didn't know what she was going to say, and then she realized, you know what? Why the hell am I skipping and smiling, talking about these assholes? And that's the best I could do. <laughs> What she should have said was like, Dusty, while all these other suckers are in the back laughing and joking, the dream going to be in the ring, baby, cooking and smoking. It was time for the main event. L.A. Knight and Jimmy Uso. And as Dick Murdoch would say and did say many times, it kind of was like they started slow and tapered off. I I think you said this the other day, and you might be able to put it better again than I can, but I think you were talking about Jay, but Jimmy applies 
their personalities and they're involved in something that we're following the progression of, the bloodline story, whatever, but I don't look forward to their matches. And they both, since they're twins, kind of work the fucking same, and that's not really their strong point, is it? No, I think the way we said it was you get you try to get through the matches just to see what's going to happen. Yeah. And usually there's something at the finish, and that matters in the long-term storytelling. WWE's doing a good job with that right now. But the match itself may not exactly be the... I don't know what it is, the best <gasps> put-together match, or just it doesn't work, or things take too no, long, no, no. They're, things they're are drawn doing, out too much. I don't know what it is. They're doing the right things. The Usos, both of them, it's not that they're bad workers in terms of they're hurting people or they're fucking shit up right and left, but they're, they move a different way, and their movements are somewhat odd and not necessarily always in in line with traditional wrestling maneuvering it's and the the open-handed slap punches are killing me and the exaggerated ridiculously exaggerated drawback and or follow through to where it calls attention to the fact that it's not a legitimate punch and you just heard a sound effect and and when i'm talking about slap punches i'm not talking about throwing a punch and slapping your arm or your leg or whatever i'm talking about the actual you're hitting someone with their, with your open hand and people can see it, but you're acting like that the, that you're not, and they're having to sell it like it's a punch. And it, it just that's the thing. Their personalities. We're into the story. They do great promos. They seem like real people. They're not smooth, impeccable at the basics fucking workers. And the matches just and they look kind of the same. Nevertheless. Boy, howdy, this was complicated. Are you ready for this finish? Uso hits a Samoan drop and gets a two count. Then sits there and talks to LA Knight for about 15 seconds where you can see their lips moving. Goes to the top. Said something else to him. LA Knight caught him, but Uso pushed him off and hit a splash and got a two count. Then went back to the top. LA Knight stopped him. Uso pushed him off. I think they were having a communication breakdown here. And then LA Knight did his leap back up and did his superplex and hit his finish one, two, three. And he did that and he got his hand up and then Roman came in and missed a fucking charge in the corner and LA Knight hit his finish on Roman and Roman sold it like grim death and LA Knight stood over him with the music playing, and we went off the air and scene. What'd you think of this performance? I thought it was all right. Again, after the match, just everything else. Roman comes out of this. You want to see LA Knight get his hands on him. We have another SmackDown before the Saturday afternoon pay-per-view event or premium live event, and I guess that SmackDown will be taped beforehand. Now that I'm saying this out loud. Why don't, why don't they, you know, they ought to set some kind of goddamn deal up where they put all of them on the WWE corporate jet and fly them halfway to Saudi Arabia, stop in Borneo or wherever the fuck it would be, and just do a goddamn live transmission from there for SmackDown. And then jump on the plane, continue on to, uh, to Arabia. Arabia, you're just going with a map and the name of countries from... Many, many years ago. From, but... from Nikita Malkovich and all of his championship belts. 
The NWA World Tag Belts do have a side plate that has a, has one of those scimitars or whatever on it and a couple of stars, and it says Arabia. You know, in a lot of ways, SmackDown is similar to classic WWF television of the 80s in that not a lot happens, but everyone's presented as a big star. And enough happens to propel things forward that you want to see the next chapter. But not a lot happens. But the not a lot really works. You get one giant pop as opposed to matches that deliver nonstop cheap pops. And I think it's showing business model-wise, it's a smart thing to do. Well, there's a way also for people to remember what they're supposed to be excited about. When when you've just seen... You know, they had it in, I, I think it was Louisiana, wasn't it? That 100-car pileup on the interstate and the fog and everybody just kept hitting each other. That takes a while. But after after 15 or 20 minutes of seeing cars run into each other, are you concerned for any of the individuals or are you just wanting to count now to see how many more run into each other? You know, the problem, too, is, go, again, going back to the AEW-WWE conversation, it seems like WWE's big stars are getting bigger. And AEW, it almost feels like, and this isn't a takeaway from it, because I know you were involved with it a little bit during this period of time, and especially, you know, years later, but it feels almost like 2006 Ring of Honor. Yeah. Great matches, if you're into the matches that are being presented there, and they had great matches, but it's an independent animal versus a broad-minded product. And I mean, just trying to get the biggest possible audience, not narrow-casting the audience you're trying to get. Yes. And actually, the same phenomenon is occurring because you take the AEW audience, it's the same as the, as the, the same mindset as the Ring of Honor audience had in 2010, 11, or whatever, when we tried to put it on television and tried to get a broader audience as they were mortified that you would actually try to make the shit make more sense for normal wrestling fans and try to market personalities to make more money instead of just giving incessant car wrecks and furniture matches. Everybody, the existing Ring of Honor fan, half of them or better just wanted to see Steen and Generico jump off of fucking ladders. And the people who came along after the product went on television, seeing a scaled-down version of that for obvious reasons, they still thought it was the most exciting wrestling they'd ever seen because it was still going farther than anything else, but the core previous audience was still, again, aghast and horrified and disgusted that they weren't getting their 150-pound fucking gymnasts. And they couldn't get over it. And it was, it's the same thing now. One of the biggest things preventing AEW from making sense or from being bigger or from looking more professional, besides Tony and the infrastructure, is that probably half of their base fans want to see the goddamn <laughs> best friends and the pudding gang and all of the fuckers hug each other and do all the corny bullshit with men against women and the invisible man. Cause that's the audience that they have, they have most catered to the indie audience around the country and world that is not big enough to make 
a big time fucking promotion. And those people run a regular fan away because they're like, what the fuck are you people looking at? Does that make any sense? Yes and no. It doesn't make sense, but it happens. Yeah, and then you look at what AEW is now. When it started up, Cody was a few years off WWE TV as a different character and had on the indies created the new Cody Rhodes. The elite of New Japan TV and independent wrestling fame had an audience. They got a ton of publicity for the all-in show. They got Jericho. Other than that, there weren't too many ex-WWE guys. Now, other than MJF, who's not an ex-WWE guy near the top? They haven't developed anyone. They've developed no one. The only one they have who really feels like they could fit on WWE TV right now is MJF. And quite frankly, he should be on WWE TV right now. But they've and, no, and, and, but they've no I, one I, else I, like, that feels like they're that kind of star. I, w- I was going to add that they're, they're doing a good job with Samoa Joe, but unfortunately, he's already been to WWE television. They dropped the ball on him, but it's not really them doing a good job with Joe. It's just as him doing a good job with himself and not being made to do stupid things. After it's Cage, it's Sting, it's fucking... It's, in that respect, it is TNA from 2012 or whatever it was. Uh, where it's the the over the hill gang has come in and invaded, but in this case, in the old days of TNA, they were holding down James Storm, they were holding down Robert Roode, they were holding down AJ Styles, they were holding down Samoa Joe. Nobody in AEW is getting fucking held down that shouldn't be held down. Many of them are getting a boost that don't deserve it. That's the problem is they don't have a lot of young unheralded talent that needs to be uh, pushed. And the ones that they do have, they have botched in their presentation to the point where stop and start or goofiness or whatever, to the point where they've, they've sidelined them into irrelevancy. It feels like a 2023 version of when WWE really pulled away from the NWA after the Ted Turner purchase. Like 1990, right around the time you left. Yeah. You see what's going like when you go from SmackDown to Collision <laughs> and you just look at the room. I'm not saying that to be funny or anything, but you look at the room. You look at the way it's lit. You look at how many people are there. That's what it started feeling like when you would go from WWE Superstars of Wrestling, which was a canned show, to WCW Saturday Night in like 1991 or, or the Sunday show. There were buildings that were dark and you could tell there was a reason they were dark. Yeah. It started oh, believe feel- me, if you were in them in person, they weren't dark enough. But it's starting to feel like that a lot with AEW. Like The fans they have there are really excited and there were fans in 1991 really excited for Bill Kazmaier and Big Josh. But long term, you got to do something different. Well, you know, you know what I'm always excited for, Brian, not the wrestling programs on a monthly basis, but uh, when I get my box of awesome in the mail, that's when I get excited. Don't you? I, in fact, do. And I use my previous month's knife because I've gotten a few lately to open the new box and see all the new awesomeness. And did you get another knife or have you branched out into any? Is there something we need to know about you? Should there be a red flag law up in New Jersey 
No. About you and these knives? I'm not doing anything with them. Are you throwing them at you know Suzanne while she's standing in front of a wall? No, she's uh no, she's she's good with a knife. I wouldn't mess with her. Well, then you practice with the kids. No, they're good with knives too. I wouldn't mess with them. Well, in that case, then you're just taking these things and you're just flinging them at the wall for no reason. I don't fling. I'm not talking about flinging knives, although we can fling a great box of awesome to all the listeners that may potentially have a knife or other fine, awesome like products. Now, wait a minute, folks. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that is not what's going to happen. They're not going to throw boxes at you containing sharp implements. No, that's not what I'm saying. They're going to deliver them right to your front door uh, via the U.S. Postal Service or whatever fine courier they decide to use. Or if you leave your front window open, they'll just sidearm it, just pitch it right in that thing. And in that case, if you see it come and duck, especially if it's going end over end. It will not be delivered that way, and the they in that case would be the courier, and if that does happen, please complain to the courier that has nothing to do with Bespoke Post and the Box of Awesome, which you will love, and gets delivered once a month right to you, filled with awesomeness, upon awesomeness, and just in a, more, in a box. more awesomeness, in a box. Awesomeness in a box, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, what's the Courier Journal ever done to you? It's a fine paper. Don't complain about the courier. Folks, no matter where your adventures are taking you this fall, our friends at Bespoke Post has a box of awesome, or have a box of awesome, to make it just that, an adventurous and awesome fall. Because they're filled with carefully chosen gear, as we've talked about, from the best small businesses and brands around the world. Not just this country, but the world. I'm they found the smallest business on the country of Iceland and there's stuff coming from that business in your box of awesome if you pick the right one. Smallest business in the world. This guy actually had both of his legs amputated. What? And he no, works for no. himself, so he's not even Stop. a one-man business. This is not even a one-man story. I don't know where you concocted this, and this is no. He's only he's only awesome. two-thirds there. He's the smallest business in the world. He works for himself out of his house, and he's got no legs. But folks, there's all kinds of small businesses, some with four to six legs. Is it a regular size house? It's a little tiny house. You've seen those on the on the television program, the little tiny house. He pulls what? his bed <laughs> out from under the stove in the kitchen. I've seen that on the television program, as you said. Yes, yes. it pulls right out. Anyway, and the Box of Awesome helps him because it's not too big. So it'll go in his tiny house and folks, it'll go in yours. And once you open it, that's when everything that's in the Box of Awesome springs out at you with pleasure and vibrancy. For, for the record, nothing will be springing out at the listeners. Well, if you have your wife or husband or significant other, when you open it, throw it up in your face, all the shit will spring out at you. Let's not do that, and let's not even... Uh, well, there might be knives. That's right. Yeah, but besides knives, they've got barbecue rub. Yeah, who From wants that Great in their American face? Spice Company in Rockford, Michigan. You remember my brown, uh, I mean, my bourbon nosing kit where you can identify the <laughs> various uh, uh, odors, uh, not odors, but the scents and the ingredients of bourbon. <laughs> or if it stinks, you need, to, you need to know that too. Nose your bourbon is what that one, it's in the swirl package. And uh, swirl there's all, there's, yes, swirl strickland. There's also uh, hot sauces. There's cocktail smokers. And boy, it's hard to get that liquid into that small little pipe. But there's an amazing plethora and variety. The Weekender bag with the 
quality leather straps and the metal hardware that you can carry various things that you might use over the course of a weekend, depending on what your weekends are like, and uh, it, just so much more. And you just, you go to boxofawesome.com and you take the quiz of what you're interested in. They don't want to send you just things you're not interested in because, well, that just wouldn't be awesome. They want to know what you want and they'll send you things that pertain to those things that you want. And each box is valued at around $70, but you pay only a fraction of that price because they're patronizing the small businesses. They're going to these mom-and-pop stores, small up-and-coming brands, and they're saying, look here, you ain't nobody and we're something. You better sell us what you're making, and you better sell it to us cheap because we're going to turn around and sell it to our customers, and we want to well save them money. Let's just so they strong arm these no, innocent products. No, no, they have a wonderful They're practically working... giving these products away so they can pass the savings on to you. Well, that that part is true. They pass the savings off to you, the listener. But well, there's... who do you think they're pulling? Whose ass is the savings coming out of? They're coming out of mom and pops. This is a cooperative the... effort between the small business and Box of Awesome yes, to deliver yes. awesomeness. Box of Awesome comes listeners. in there and they're like you know, it's a nice business you got there. Be ashamed if something happened to it. I like how they keep sending me better boxes of awesome than you, just like, because I'm more awesome than you. Well, I just answered the questions wrong. But nevertheless, so then when they take this shit from mom and pop and leave them broke and busted and disgusted in an alleyway somewhere, they will give them the advertising. So that's how these small businesses prosper. A broken leg or arm here or there is nothing compared to the publicity that they're getting from having their products placed in the boxes of awesome none of this is true ladies and gentlemen none of it not a word of it none of it what do you true. mean even even box of awesome.com enter the code jce That's and you'll true. get 20 percent off your first monthly box 20 percent off the first box at boxofawesome.com, enter code JCE. That's factual, is it not? That is indeed factual, but these fantasies of thug life that you're presenting to the audience are indeed fabrications of your mind. I have no recollection of any of those events. Folks, again, go to boxofawesome.com, use the code JCE, get 20% off your first box of whatever awesomeness in whatever genre of awesomeosity that you pick when you take that Slight little quiz there, and then they start sending you stuff that you're going to love forevermore and hug and squeeze and call these things George, because that's uh, you're going to form a bond with these small business items and uh, potentially also get stabbed by one of them if they throw it in your open front window. They won't be doing that, and you won't be getting hurt because that won't be happening, but you will be receiving at your doorstep the Box of Awesome or in your mailbox or your P.O. Box safely and securely delivered box of awesome for you a, to box open. Of, a box of box in a box and uh, and you will not get injured just don't let the people know that you like hand grenades uh no. when you fill out the again clip. again no there will be no 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 there's just <laughs> no no you could see no. some of the fine products on their website what you would you see. get what would you get if you took the quiz and you said i like hand grenades and nuclear fission material and uranium what what would you get in your boxes of awesome you get the fbi up your ass that's what you get and you deserve it too well there you go get your so, life together well, sicko but if you have your life together away. if you have your life together and you want some awesomeness brought right to you 
courtesy of your friends here at the Jim Cornette Experience, his show, for the record. What's that promo code one more time, Jim? JCE for boxofawesome.com, 20% off. We can't do this all day. We are in the future, and the reverb continues, apparently. We are in the future, Jim. Now we're in the future. Now we're in the future. That's where we are. Boy, that trip gets more fatiguing every time. We had to take a break, folks. Part technical and part physical. We couldn't take any more. But, um, but now that we have talked about how the WWE is boring themselves into billions of dollars and boring us in the process... Before we talk about how AEW apparently is trying to physically eliminate every single member of their talent roster, what are you trying to eliminate over at the 605 Arcadian Vanguard Network this week? We're trying to eliminate the need for crappy wrestling podcasts. We'll give you the best stuff for free on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or, of course, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. Of course, the wrestling news each and every day. Get your free daily wrestling newscast every morning coming right to you on YouTube or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Coming right to you. Coming right to you. Like Miro coming to Jim's house. The wrestling news. Get it directly from the wrestlingnews.com or wherever you, you find. Do you come all over the listeners or do the listeners come all over the program to get the news? The wrestling news comes to you, and at that point, uh, it's privileged information at thewrestlingnews.com, wherever you find your favorite podcast, Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News. Want to make mention of Stick the Wrestling with John McAdam. They continue their look at WWF Wrestling in the fall of 1983. Like so many of us, we're getting ready for the anniversary of 1984. Big things to come on Stick the Wrestling. Check it out today at mcadampod.com or look for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcast. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! We're now at the point where we're hearing from frequent guests on the show saying, can we do a show already? So go through the archive, <laughs> 605pod.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Look for Arcadian Vanguards, the 605 Super Podcast. The Mothership! You've recently taken up collecting stamps, too, in your quiet spare time, from what I hear. You were getting bored wandering around the massive hallways of Last Manor with all this twiddle-your-thumbs time. That is one thing what? I don't collect, is stamps. You know, I found out, I did when I was, I collected everything when I was a kid, and I have my father's stamp book when he collected stamps when he was a kid which is why i started saving stamps but then i a number of years ago i said well, i ought to check into all this shit i got the fucking first day covers and the special edition usps stuff and all the old stamps that my dad had <laughs> i was told basically that the average age of stamp collectors is now dead and nobody really collects stamps anymore unless it's wow. shit that they would fucking auction at Sotheby's or whatever. There's still that kind of thing. But, you know, so he in his stamp book, he was collecting them in the 1920s. 
So I figured, well, all this old shit, and uh, eh. not unless you have an upside-down fucking flying dingbat. If you were a kid that wasn't much to collect, this is before comic books. This oh, before, come on now. This is before baseball cards in the 20s? Come on. Oh, okay. I, th- I thought you said when, when I was a kid, there no, wasn't the much 20s. to collect. Oh, there no, wasn't much there- to collect. Dirt, rocks, <laughs> boards, sticks. He had a massive stick collection. <laughs> From the dogwood tree. Yeah, from, well, there, see, there you go. It was the grandmother of the dogwood tree. Anyway, speaking of the dogwood tree or the wildwood weed or whatever it is that's going on at AEW, the collision, a collision has been rightly named with the amount of potatoes, the amount of taters, as we used to say in the locker room, that are being thrown around. The whole crew hails from Boise, Idaho. See, this is hilarious shit to anybody in the wrestling business over 55 years of age. And we're going we're gonna to talk about, as we go through the... Over the age of 55 in the wrestling business, or as it's known, the average age of dead. If you, well, there you go. See, all the good stuff is gone. Stamp collecting, wrestling terminology, it's all gone. You know, I walked in the locker room when, when I was managing Mike Boyette. He was Apocalypse, the soldier of fortune, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. In Memphis. And poor Mike, he was a... He was the nicest, great guy, but he was all fucked up in a variety of ways, and you could just look in his eyes, right? And he had come in, and he's doing the Soldier of Fortune. He's wearing the camouflage and the face paint like he's out in the jungles of wherever, Bolivia. And he's wearing combat boots. He's, try, he's doing martial arts shit, which come to find out he was a... I believe he was a heck of a judo guy in the 60s in his youth, but... I don't think they kick in judo, but the point is, he's trying to kick these guys with these combat boots, right? With varying degrees of success. So one night I come in the locker room, and there he is, and he's already got his face painted up, and he's got his head thing on, he's got his camouflage pants on and everything, and he's barefoot, and he's taping up his his uh, his feet, right? Like the ball of his foot, you know, sometimes barefoot wrestlers will put a little tape on, whatever. I said, Mike, you hurt yourself? He said, no, I'm wrestling barefoot from now on. I said, why is that? He said, they made me take my boots off. They said they were made out of potatoes. But see, it was funnier if you're over 55. <laughs> Nevertheless, so I, they we, said, we're going to talk they about- They made uh, me. They said. Yeah, they- Who's well, they? they actually, <laughs> I, at the time, it was Dundee. <laughs> uh, I think, and or Jerry Jarrett. Um, but, uh, it was a consensus of the babyface locker room, apparently. Anyway, we were going to talk about collision, people colliding with each other with drastic results. What do you think of the new three-man announcing booth there on collision on Saturday nights where we had some semblance of normalcy for a little while? Now it's Tony Schiavone, Kevin Kelly, and Robin Leach. He's screaming and he doesn't know why. <laughs> that is what he sounds like. Because and now Tony's trying to lead or be, you know, not trying. They have him as the apparently the lead announcer. In the way that David Crockett was the lead announcer on TBS. Well, no, he wasn't. See, it was always, hey, that's my was point. always viewed as the sidekick. But that's the way Tony does commentary. Well, but the the problem is, is now with all three of them, uh, Nigel is, as you mentioned to me, I don't know if it was on tape or just on the phone. Nigel's trying hard because he's trying to 
do his job and salvage shit. And, you know, Tony is has a little slower cadence than Kevin does. And Kevin's trying not to interrupt Tony. So then he kind of just spits something in the middle there. And then we go on and it's, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they cut Kevin Kelly's nuts off. Because the first couple of weeks of Collision, which was a good show, he was amazing on commentary. And now it's like he's on NyQuil. He's sitting there and he barely, it's like Kevin Kelly actually on WWF TV in the late 90s. He barely gets a word in. When he does, you're like, oh yeah, Kevin Kelly's there. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's fawning Tony Schiavone who says nothing of any importance and just yells. And then his yelling, exciting friend, <laughs> look at the yacht. Look at this yacht. <laughs> He's in his luxurious sliver swimming pool. <laughs> that is what it said. That Kevin Kelly's just, he left New Japan for this? This is what he left New Japan for? Well, no, I think, to be fair, uh, he left New Japan, I think, just be able to spend more time with his family as he increasingly ages on his way to, you know, rotting in the ground as we all do. Uh, you can't do that. Gee, I, One of the listeners sent me something where apparently Shivani said that he went to Tony Khan and asked if he could do lead commentary on Rampage. And instead, Tony Khan made him the lead commentator on Collision. Well, it's hard to tell those two shows apart anymore, except one's a little longer. But let's talk about the one that's longer, because we're going to get to a few profundities, hopefully, here in the course of the analysis. And analyzing the first thing that we saw coming out of the gate was the Bang Gang Clangers entrance. And my God, I don't know that we pushed Steve Austin in the 90s like they are pushing these fucking guys, but they're it's a group of people that is focused on probably the least charismatic one of the bunch, and he's the one that's wrestling a single match. Uh, good old Switchblade Jay White. And his opponent was summoned by you, Brian, like Beetlejuice. Think about it. When is the last time we heard this guy's name, A.R. Fox, and you mentioned it on last week's program? Where'd he go? And he's back. I don't even know if that program has been released yet, so people have to take your word for it. But yeah, he was a baby face that you can kind of root for. He kind of looked like he was from the set of Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo, like he could <laughs> dance. You know what he does, too? He does the, the one thing he does that looks horrible. He claps his hands in front of him whenever he does like a kick or anything. Like instead, yeah. of, instead of slapping his thigh, yeah. he'll clap like, his hands in front here, of him. Here, look how good my rhythm is. I can clap my hands at the same time I kick the guy. Well, he was a great baby face, and then he turned heel and became just a vicious <laughs> thug. Just a backstabbing, home-invading motherfucker. And then Swerve turned on him, kind of like the name Swerve. You would think maybe I shouldn't trust this guy. It's, it's like having a fucking lawyer named Cheatham. He cheated him, and then he had nowhere else to go, so he came back hat in hand to Darby and, and Nick Wayne. Apologized. He apologized. He apologized. I'm sorry you nearly bled out because of something I was involved in. Then he was kind of like almost accepted, and then he disappeared, and then Nick Wayne turned, and now A.R. Fox is back. So with now no is, is A.R. Fox justified? Wait a minute. Who did he turn on now? Wait. how did, Yeah, A.R. Fox is justified because he knew well, ahead of everybody what a piece of shit turncoat backstabber Nick Wayne was. But he was only doing it to upset Darby, right? He wasn't doing it. Like, Nick Wayne was just, uh, you know, 
What's the word I'm looking for? A, a prawn in the game? Well, yeah, Nick, Nick Wayne was just collateral damage. Collateral damage. You know what they ought to do? They ought to like the kids these days. They ought to do a Facebook, you know, fucking group or thing or whatever on everybody's personal drama. Here's what Darby said to me in 2018 that led me to smash him with a goddamn blunt instrument in 2022. He insulted my cooking or whatever the fuck. And all the childish high school reasons why all these people are mad at each other and keep stabbing each other in the back to where you can't fucking trust any motherfucker. We ought to have some kind of... Like, like one of those... You got a neighborhood thing up there, right? You got a neighborhood thing on the internet where they keep everybody apprised. Aunt Joe over here down the street just had her fucking 14th hysterectomy or whatever. So we send good luck to her. Mrs. Princenthal saw a bear make him up the street. Be careful. There you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, they ought to have that for AEW where we could, instead of trying to remember this shit because it's inexplicable, we should be able to go back and look at all the nasty things they've said to each other and why they're mad. But that is kind of the drama they try to put on their show. It's all about friendships ending because of endless childish behavior. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure why. Everyone's friends for no good reason, but then... The friendships end for no good reason, so there's no good reason for any of it. Well, speaking of no good reason for anything, let's get back to Jay White and A.R. Fox. Oh, yeah. Once again, it took everything that the number one contender to the World Heavyweight Championship could do to beat this 185-pound nobody that we never see and that has turned on every friend he's ever had to the point where people can't trust him at all in 15 minutes. Didn't they say, too, A.R. Fox was a hometown kid, or he was from Connecticut? Um, I, I didn't see uh, massive banners or anything. Welcome Wagon was the Chamber of Commerce there. I thought they said that on commentary, but then I'm like, you said his gym was in Atlanta, and he's mugging people in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. I don't know, but it was a long match. Maybe, he, maybe he's one of those expatriates. <laughs> maybe they excommunicated him. Anyway, the point of the, the deal was, as Jay White and his bang-clang bangers are celebrating in the ring that they beat this guy, MJF dressed all in black with a hoodie that he, you know, flips down to last moment, runs to the ring and tries to steal his belt back and gets his hands on it and gets caught and they jerk it away from him and he runs back out through the crowd. So the, the world champion did a run-in to fail. And it, it, it's not like now that they, oh my God, I can't, I can't believe that the gang-blang-clang actually snatched the belt back from MJF. There's no heat in that. It's it, that they stole it is the heat that the champion comes out and tries and fails once he's got his hands on it to get the fucking thing back. Well, now it's like, well, fuck. It, th do you see what I'm saying there? It, yes, he wants to get it back. They're about to have a match, apparently, we think, according to these convoluted, clouded fucking promos where they're challenging, asked, and answered three or four matches in the same fucking breath. So it, why would you have him try to steal it when he's got a match coming up where he can get it back, or if he's going to try and steal it, let him steal it. 
and then somebody can beat him in the eight-man tag and steal it back if you if it's that big of a deal to you. Or whatever the fuck. But what was this? The booking for all of this has been questionable for a while. I think in one way it was good because this is what heel MJF would do. He would sneak to the ring and try to do something sneaky. Yes, and heel MJF would have probably got away with it. Heel MJF would have got away with most of the shit that he's not getting away with anymore, and that's the problem. I agree that's with why that. he was over. I agree with that. He was getting Although away. Although he's still over. He's still over, but it's different. It, it, okay, he's still over. Would he now be getting over doing this thing if we had never seen the other thing? Would he be getting over doing this thing like he got over doing the other thing? No. Boom goes the dynamite. But what's the other thing? He would have gotten the belt and run away? No, the whole heel run. If you, yes, MJF is over right now. But the babyface run is clearly not as good as the heel run. No one's questioning that. Okay, that's what I that's the point I'm making is that when you got a guy that got over doing that shit and then you take away his ability to do all that shit, no he doesn't need to win every time. He doesn't need to succeed in a he doesn't need to poke the guy in the eye every time. But still most of the time he's got to outsmart these fuckers cuz he's the devil. And then they can gang jump him and do something illegal immoral and unethical again but you see what i'm saying he's got to he's got to one up these guys most of the time and then they get to heat where it counts because if he's just outsmarted outmaneuvered he's the magician that can't make the fucking rabbit come out of the hat anymore i will say this he should get a raise he's in the middle of everything that matters on this show not just this show but dynamite too it's all mjf if they really wanted to reward him, they'd give him a contract release. Well, that would be a gift for him, but not for the company. Well, that's I'm, you said he should be rewarded given a raise. Well, anyway, so then immediately after that segment, the acclaimed in a backstage blah, 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 announced that next week they're going to be the champions for 69 days. and It's getting ridiculous now. So... Next week will be National 69 Day. And then they, Castor is apparently convinced that MJF has texted him, but Bowens and Billy Gunn are berating him because he's been catfished or whatever, and that's not the real MJF. And it's like children, and they make him stand in a corner while they, t- it's children. It's Billy Gunn's got to be laughing his fucking head off once he gets in the car at night. That I, he's more, he's more over than he's been in twenty years. They're paying him, I'm sure, a fortune, and all he has to do is suffer through this bullshit. He's sixty years old, and, and, and he's got to be dying fucking laughing. You know, I hate to say it, but I'm starting to hate the acclaimed. Maybe yeah, start. Maybe starting. Maybe starting is uh. Is a little late to the game now at this point, but they got over with the rapping to the ring and then doing stuff in the ring. Now they just do promos that are, are you said childish. I mean, yeah, I get we could still make fun of the idea that 69 is a sexual number, like we're teenagers, but with the acclaimed, it's just it's always one thing after another. And now the idea that Max Caster is some like weird adult sex pest. 
who doesn't understand boundaries or how to behave or how not to be catfish. Castor was the cool rapper, yeah. right? That's what got the two of them over before Billy. Castor was the cool rapper that said wicked, sharp, cunning things in his raps, and then they did just enough in the ring. Castor got the act over without yeah. any question, yes. And then, okay, when Billy comes, that adds an element of name value and experience and blah, blah, blah. But as we said, after at that run, they had already, then the scissoring thing started, and yes, that's a cute thing, but they allowed it to get out of control to where that's the only thing they wanted to see out of the acclaimed. And then when they had hurt Billy and he, or he put his boots in the ring or whatever the fuck that time, we thought, okay, now they've seen, we got to make these two young baby faces more independent for the future for the next several years because Billy is you know, nearing the end of his career. And then he comes back and he's the hottest part of the fucking group. And now, as you said, I love the term from our friends in the UK, sex pest. But he's a, at some point, a naive child and at other points uh, trying to hit on MJF or a single white male. No, the other day there was some... There was some promo, I don't even remember if it was something we talked about where, maybe it was on Dynamite, it was them being interviewed by Renee, maybe? Because, yeah, it would either be her or Lexi. And he made some kind of inappropriate comment, and the other two, like, pushed him away and chided him. Yeah. This is now his gimmick. He can spit out some real sick shit on the mic, but he also doesn't know how to behave like an adult. That's his gimmick now. So, it, to your point, yes, they are making it to where the acclaimed... <laughs> are less likable for all the reasons that people liked them to begin with. Uh, and speaking of the bang, bang clang who never left the ring, we come back and have another match with now the gun boys who again are just sitting in the ring waiting. And here comes the boys, Dalton castles to, um, henchmen assistants, whatever they are, boys, his two boys, his two boys. And he does the entrance with them behind him, and then they get in the ring and get beat in two minutes. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, and there you what'd go you with think, that. What'd you think of the guns hanging out in the ring while everything else was happening after, you know, they were obviously just out there for the opening match, but they never came back. They just stayed out there for their match. Well, yeah, it's... Again, it's almost like they don't want this group to even leave the arena. It's not like... It, it, familiarity sometimes breeds contempt. Let's give people a little break between matches and matches and promos involving. It's always a 20 or 30 minute continuous run on deal with this group. And you get tired and juice is the one we see the least. And he's the most interesting. <sighs> I, I, I was trying to watch the MJF and twinkle toes package, but I was apprehensive about, what may possibly occur in the match, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Was there any thoughts you had on the package or you want to wait till we get to the main event? I mean, my biggest issue with Omega versus MJF has been the build or the lack of build. And it's been ridiculous. The people that have tried to justify them doing it like this. No, they gave it three days. They gave it three days. This package. And, and they, and they teased it <laughs> 10 days out when they, when they had a snide comment to each other, 10 whole days before the match. 
So, I mean, I can't really say anything about the package other than it was good and it probably should have aired on TV a week before the fucking match or something. <laughs> Not like an hour, less than an hour before the match. Uh, um, I'm no, I mean, come that- on. Oh, I mean, seriously, you know, they did like, it's stupid that they called it a streak because it's not a streak, but, you know, title versus streak or whatever it was. This should be a big fucking match. Three days built. Well, see, nobody Three days built for the Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut. Nobody thought of it until they made a big deal about how long Roman Reigns had been a champion, then they made a big deal about how long Gunther had been a champion, and then somebody at AEW, some numbers nerd, who in the world might have qualified for that description, then oh wait, how long was Kenny the champion? How long's MJ? Well, we got, oh shit, we got 13 days, bitch. And that... uh, and there you go. It's in Uncasville, Connecticut. Do you think Unca Dave will give it five stars? It, it reminds me of when we did local promos when I first got to the WWF for um, Ithaca, New York. And I said, Ithaca? I said, that sounds like the noise you make right before you throw up. And I had people years later coming, I remember you said that about it. But it, yeah, I, it, it, we'll talk more about the build or lack or none or whatever of this thing when we get to it but do you believe that whatever they're going to do with Danhausen may be <laughs> the worst most amateurish thing that they've ever done you want vignettes to introduce people so that something makes sense even if it's a bad gimmick that you're going to hate like Skinner I always bring up Skinner <laughs> even if it's that you want some explanation Danhausen's already been there randomly just popped up at various points if you knew, you knew. If you didn't, you really didn't. And then he was gone because he got injured. I don't even know if he ever wrestled a match. He got injured. And then now they're doing these videos that have nothing to do with wrestling. So if you don't know him, you still don't know what the hell it is. And if you know him, you're like, oh, wow, they're doing these really cool videos. Where's it going to go? Where it should go is Turner should make him their Sven on some other one of there the Turner networks. That's where it could go. But however this is going to be utilized on AEW TV is frightening to think about. Frightening. There you, I see what you did there. Uh, speaking of frightening, so there's Ryan Nemeth in the back, and he's talking about all his success in Hollywood and major motion pictures and sitcoms, baby. And now he feels like maybe I'd have more success in wrestling if I get a new manager. So he's standing outside what is alleged to be the office of hot and flexible and uh, old CJ. And because it's got a, a, a sign on the door that somebody printed out on copy paper off a fucking computer printer, it says, what's her last name? CJ Perry, CJ Perry, yeah. CJ Perry, hot and flexible in a black and white cop piece of copy paper on the door. So he goes and he knocks on the door and the door opens and he's like, Oh, uh, I was going to see CJ. Uh, oh, come in. And it's Miro. And as soon as they open the door and, and Nimeth walks in, you can see that it's a room they've got set up for pre-tapes. There's actual lighting and a, an interview background in the shot in this room. And otherwise, a lot. And then, of course, the door closes and Miro kicks the shit out of this idiot. And the, and while they're making fake arg noises, 
but they couldn't even not shoot the fact that it's not an office or anything, or I don't know what the fuck. Why, why does everything have to be so ridiculously over-the-top fake to where you just fart at it? This was SmackDown a few years ago. This, yeah. is, this is an old Raw segment. The idea that they shot his face so that the door opens, you can't see who's there. All the cameraman had to do was move the camera a little bit over. But he doesn't do that. And that's WWE He could have moved shit. it over the other way when they showed the goddamn interview set that he's walking into inside the room. Now, this but they bad. didn't do that either. This is bad. And when you hear all the stories about Miro not wanting to do things that Tony Khan wanted him to do in the past, and you can't blame anyone for not wanting to do some of Tony Khan's bonehead ideas. But beyond that, if these are the things that he wants to do, why? Like, he was making progress again, and now again, it's this whole thing where his wife is either going to manage or all the job guys want her to manage them. None of the main eventers, the job guys. And then Miro beats them up. Either get a marriage counselor or do something else. <laughs> what is this? And certainly the, she's working when people have sent the comments in on Twitter, whatever, that she wants to be the greatest manager of all time. Well, it, it, I want her never, to be too. That means something's going right. Well, but you never know anymore because could she be one of the only ones that actually does interviews outside TV where she works her gimmick? Or does she actually believe that she might be able to do something like that? Because, I mean, it, they certainly can't make her a manager of anybody but Miro because she's not any good and she wouldn't be any good, would she? No, so she, that's the problem. She can only manage Miro or someone against Miro. Against Miro. That's it. <laughs> that's it. So no. So, all right. But you know, I mean, she's a good talker. For all the women that come into the business that can't talk, she can talk. She can't book, obviously. <laughs> but she can talk. Uh, we'll see. So then they had, because it's Halloween weekend, and why wouldn't they? A garbage match for the women's world title with Hikaru Shida and Abaddon, who dresses up as a frightful cross between, I don't know, a bride of Frankenstein and a suppository. I don't know Abaddon. what she looks like. Abaddon, Abaddon, who they keep off TV, it seems like, all year until it's Halloween. Yes. And then they trick or treat us, and guess what? We didn't give them a treat, so they tricked us. Because this was... It would have been bad with people that could work, because the ring was decorated for Halloween with pumpkins and a garbage can and styrofoam tombstones and various plethora of paraphernalia. But this was embarrassing. I had to go... I skipped it first, but you mentioned something to me on another match, and I wanted to go back and take a look at it, and I stopped for a little bit of this, and my God, this shouldn't have been on cable access. It was incredible. What the fuck? I mean, okay, if Abaddon's, you know, gimmick is Halloween, again, let her do interviews dressed up as Halloween. Who told this girl she could work? And Kenny Sheeta, Omega. Kenny Omega, to answer your question. Holy crap. No, that would be Sheeta, right? Who well, no, was, Kenny Omega is the one who brought Abaddon into the women's division, I believe. Oh, good Lord. All right. Well, this was, I mean, if, in, if anybody in the world didn't know wrestling was fake, then to watch this, there would be no doubt. 
it was just uh, you know what Sheeta Sheeta in the early days of AEW for that women's division had some of the better matches in that division that isn't to say those were great matches or anything and there were a lot with smoke and mirrors like her and Britt Baker or whatever but Sheeta's not good it wasn't just because she was wrestling in an evening dress or whatever was happening here (laughs) because I just saw her on Dynamite too have a bad match right was it her and Ruby Soho on Dynamite well, but uh, again, you know, Sheeta's not very good either. Like there are a lot of women in the division who aren't good, and Sheeta sometimes doesn't get listed in that group. Sheeta's not very good. And by the way, the name you just mentioned, Britt Baker. Where the fuck is Britt Baker? She's helping Adam probably after his surgery. I didn't see her at Roddy's house. That's a good point. Where was Britt Baker? Who was Britt Baker with? Britt Baker has been gone for longer than Adam has been hurt, hadn't she? We haven't seen her in a while. Hey, where's Jungle Boy? (laughs) He's in the jungle. He's in that devil mask. Watch out for that tree, motherfucker. I can't imagine they should ever bring him back after causing all that embarrassment and frustration and fucking the whole fucking deal that the whole world looked at him like they were complete idiots all because of that fucking clown. That's the thing. He caused that entire thing where Tony Khan ended up being afraid for his life. But the rumor is that again, he's one of the people people think maybe under the devil's mask, either Adam Cole who can't wrestle for a while, apparently or jungle boy who has been suspended for months. Who couldn't wrestle to begin with. And boy, I mean, that would be a mistake, I think. They've tried so hard with Jungle Boy. They keep trying and to make him that character. But whatever. We'll see what happens. All right. Anyway, so we move on. Samoa Joe. He and Gunther may be the best heels in the business. Uh, had a squash match, but with Rhett Titus, who I haven't seen in ages. And Rhett looks better physically and can outwork 80% of the children on this roster, so we never see him. And then they bring him in to do one two-minute job to Joe, but Joe gave him a bit of offense from underneath because of, you know, respect for him, but still got over. But again, we we see Garcia and Useless and the Dork Order constantly. And you got a guy like Rhett Titus that you could have fed in, even if you didn't want to feature him, to put people over in a quality eight or 10 minute match. And this is the first time we've seen him. Hey, listen, Tony owns ring of honor. Rhett Titus has been a ring of honor wrestler slash star for a number of years. Hate to say it, but a tag team with Kenny King, but he's done a lot of things there. One titles there. He was treated like a jobber here. Yeah. Except by Joe, you can tell Joe didn't squash him like he did Johnny already in the ring, but... But even, like, when they showed him in the ring and introduced him, here is Rhett Titus. He was just standing there with no charisma. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm here to do a job. That's That was the yeah. problem. You got two minutes, kid. But, uh, it, you know, it was good for what it was. But again, if Tony could see... See, Tony doesn't pick the talent. His fucking, you know, minions that he's put in those positions picks the talent, apparently, because it's all their friends and they don't have eyes. They have hearts and they don't see they fucking feel and they think that a bunch of these jack off childish looking fucking not ready for indie level players should have jobs on national television instead of guys that have been doing this for 15 years anyway 
Did you love the interview with QT and QT Girl and What's-His-Face that we never hear from anymore? And John Morrison just standing there, a goddamn ex-WWE superstar and halfway name in the business, and he's just hanging out with QT. What the fuck? And QT's got a belt now. It looked like a fucking hubcap, but he's got a belt. The AAA Mega Championship, was that it? Or it was one of the AAA Championships? And he said he's going to now be trying to take down every luchador because that's what we need on these shows. QT versus the lucha talent. <sighs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is what they said they're going to do. That is what they're going to do. QT versus the luchadors is a new AEW feud for the B-level shows. Or maybe the C-level shows. Do they have a D-level anymore? All right, here's the the big news that came out of this program. They had a pre-taped interview with Claudio. And he announced that Brian Danielson has a broken orbital socket or orbital bone. And at first, you, when you heard this, because you hadn't been on, you had been deep in the editing minds, you hadn't been on the internet, He's a what, what? Why would they say he's hurt immediately after he just came back from an injury? And apparently it's because it's real. And he's going to have some kind of surgery and he's not going to wrestle at least through the rest of the year. And what, what they're trying to blame it on, and they showed a VTR, a B-roll over the, the uh, interview, was that... <laughs> The fucking orange punch by Pockets, they they actually tried to blame that. as And when they showed the fucking clip, he whiffed him. He never hits anybody with that thing. And Claudio in his promo said whether it was the orange punch or the rainmaker. Could it be that maybe this Japanese superstar that they brought in Fucking landed on goddamn Danielson's face with that Rainmaker thing. The Rainmaker's a clothesline. Well, how do again clothesline him across the face or land on it when they came down? I don't fucking I don't know what happened. Okada is one of the best wrestlers in the world, and they were building up apparently the rumor is Okada versus Danielson at the Tokyo Dome January 4th. That's now out the window, uh, more than likely because of Danielson's surgery. It was a match that we questioned the existence of on the show. <laughs> And so many times that happens, and then someone comes out of it hurt. I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. I guess in the amount of time Danielson's been signed to AEW, if it's like 700 days or whatever so far, just to throw a number out there, how many days has it been on the DL? Yes, and that's how the fuck. If, if, if one of your biggest stars, a guy that's known for having a history of concussions and had to retire for a while because of it, a guy who then comes back and I can't even remember the other injuries he had before the broken arm because there was a couple more. And I'm not saying that Brian Danielson, it looks that way that he's injury prone, but how was he successfully able to wrestle a much tougher schedule for 15 or 20 years and not be injured this much because he was never in this fucking swimming pool with these other goddamn synchronized swimmers is what i'm guessing it's a and style thing it's a style thing danielson yes. is considered by so many people to be one of the greats of this era 
He's one of the stiff guys of this era. And now he's out of WWE. He can wrestle as stiff as he wants. This is what happens. When these guys want this style, this is what happens. But what I was going to say a minute ago, regardless of the style, you've got one of the biggest names in the fucking company. And he's just come back from a broken arm. And you don't need any more goddamn injuries. How is he still getting injured? How are people not fucking taking care of him? What the fuck is going on here? It's not like a bro, unless he fell off the top rope head first to the floor, it's not like you can break your own orbital socket very easy. So what the fuck is going on here? And remember, I said this to you in general about a lot of these guys when they come back and they're in their 40s, they get hurt a lot. I mean, how many times was Edge out after he returned to WWE? These guys are going to break down a lot, especially when there's... They're working a style. But a broken orbital socket is not breaking down. Well, that, that's a very good point. That's it's true. Not that, it's that's true. That's true. Not without help. I can understand it. You know, ligaments, tendons, we all get older. You know, the back, you, how many bumps in your bump card? Your fucking face? Come on. Either uh, Anyway. So the point is, He's hurt, and now, as a result, Claudio, because they can't... I guess they don't want to blame Okada because he's not coming back or whatever. Who knows? But now Claudio is going to wrestle pockets for the A&P company title this Wednesday at the Dynamite in Louisville. No wonder they haven't sold 3,000 tickets. So that's what we got to look forward to there. Now Danielson is out. What? Why doesn't anybody ever land on Pockets' face? How can this... He's almost 40. He was out for a while, too, remember? Not long enough. Not Well, maybe not long enough, but every one of their guys, other than MJF. Who else? Who... Uh, who they, they were trying. They were trying. Adam Page hasn't had a significant injury, I don't think, right? But Omega has. Both Bucks have. I don't know if Jericho has. Orange Cassidy has. Moxley... Right now, Moxley has, Danielson has, Punk did. Did Cody get hurt enough to stop? I mean, burned, he threw himself on the fire. Yeah. I don't remember. Every one of their top guys in the last few years has lost a significant period of time because of the stupid shit they're doing. Well, but actually, it's probably more prevalent with the underneath guys because they come and go and are gone for so long anyway, you don't get used to seeing them, but... That's true. What, Dante Martin? And his brother. Both of them have and, been and in and brother. out. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I can't even call all these names, but a lot of people have had surgeries or been hurt or been off or couldn't compete. They Christian. They, Christian. Christian Cage was out for a while. They tried to cave Britt Baker's face in two or three times, didn't they? That's right. And she's had a, at least a broken nose and... Uh, at least that, but she's been hurt a few times, I think. You know, we, we could do this all day. Jamie Hayter is currently the oh, world well, champion. He's go. currently out of action. She's Danhausen. Danhausen got. I don't even know how he got hurt. He got hurt somehow. Darby, did you see the video? Now we got to talk about this real quick. So apparently, Darby had a hurt shoulder, and he went to some motorbike event. Did you see the video? Of this? Oh yes, no, it wasn't a motorbike. It was a tricycle. 
He fucking <laughs> rode a tricycle down a goddamn like a 50 foot high ramp and then jumped, or not jumped, but well, rolled off of it or whatever you do in a tricycle and did a backflip and face planted on the other side. And again, I, if I was Tony Khan's attorney, oh God, perish that thought. I just realized who I was talking about. If I was a competent attorney working for Tony <laughs> Khan, then. I would insert a clause in Mr. Allen's contract that said that if he injured himself to the point where he could not compete doing an outside wrestling activity not promoted by AEW, that he would immediately not get any more fucking money for the remainder of his contract or until he came back and could wrestle. That video is amazing because he says he already has a hurt shoulder. And he's taking a break to do this from training for Mount Everest. <laughs> and he rides this tricycle, as you say, down this ramp. And as he's in the air, you're like, oh, this is not going to end well. He lands right on the shoulder that he said he Yeah. <laughs> is that what? As a matter of fact, now that I think about it, they should insert a clause that says not only does he not get paid anymore, but he has to pay all the money he's already made back. It's gonna be a great it's, it's retirement. Just, it's gonna be a great retirement tour for Sting. Darby knocked himself out of competition. Yeah. <laughs> Where Sting will turn around? Where, where's Darby? He's stuck halfway down the mountain. He couldn't get here in time. Hey, Danielson said uh, in a promo a few months ago that he only saw one, a good solid year left because of the promise he made to his daughter. How many of those months is he gonna be on the injured list? Do you think? Oh, I just thought about that. That's. <sighs> I mean, they so just—they're telling that story, right? Yeah, he's counting the clock down for the last year of his full-time career, and they just sat on his fucking face. Uh. Well, you know, you mentioned the plumber. He's uh, Is he still hurt now or hurt again or been locked up, taken away, tied up, and held for ransom? What is, what's his status? Did you see the—I haven't read it yet, but a lot of people were posting quotes from it in the Cult of Cornet Facebook group and on Twitter— there's an article, here, I have it here, from your good friends, Jim, at The Messenger. Don't shoot The Messenger. AEW's John Moxley calls for major industry change after suffering concussion in the ring. Exclusive. Moxley was injured during a match on AEW Dynamite last month, which sent him to, quote, fucking outer space for 10 <laughs> minutes. And now he's proposing an idea how to better protect wrestlers. And this is by Daniel Trainer. You know what? I got the first idea. If you are a wrestler that's been knocked into fucking outer space, don't go 10 more minutes. Here's the question before we read any of this. Are Moxley's groundbreaking suggestions going to be the things that anyone would say who wasn't already doing this? Is he just like, now that he got knocked in the head, he's like, Wow, I just realized what everyone else has been saying about how stupid everything we do is. Well, of course, that's what it is. But also, if he wanted to make industry-wide change, he was probably in the place that he may have been able to do it. The one that leads the industry. But he couldn't hack it there, and, and they didn't. he didn't like it. So he went to play with his friends, and now he ain't going to change shit because none of these guys are going to do anything that they don't want to do. If I could make this time machine work backwards... I wish I could be in the room for Moxley pitching to Heyman and Brock Lesnar what he wanted to do. <laughs> I would pay anything to be in the room to hear that conversation. <laughs> but here's the article once again by Daniel Trainer, the messenger. I don't know if he's the messenger or just writes for the messenger. 
John Moxley was standing in front of more than 10,000 wrestling fans inside New York's Arthur Ashe Stadium, but he had absolutely no idea where he was. During Moxley's AEW International Championship defense against Ray Phoenix at AEW Dynamite Grand Slam on September 20th, Moxley suffered a mild concussion at the start of their match. Moxley exclusively told the messenger the concussion happened, quote, 30 seconds in, end quote, which ultimately sent him to, quote, fucking out of space for like 10 minutes. I just kept getting progressively more lost. I couldn't figure out where the fuck I was. Then I had this moment of clarity. <laughs> oh, I'm fucked up. I gotta get the fuck out of here. So an in-ring audible was called to end the match early and give the title Small to package, you fucking moron! Not pile driver. Small package the guy. Just small package the fucking... You're supposed to win. You're hurt. <laughs> Here are your options. Small package the fucking guy. One, two, three. And the doctor comes in. Or the other guy picks you up over his fucking shoulder and drops you on your head again. Twice. Which one should you pick? <laughs> it is funny. I mean, he said, just roll him up. He gave him a pile driver, then gave him a second pile driver. <laughs> Sunset, a small package. Sunset flip. Good God. I've, I've seen a motherfucker win a match that had a broken leg when he was supposed to win. I don't. All right, hey, Doc, okay. if I ever get a concussion, what should I definitely not do if I, I'm not able to communicate or no one picks up on it? Just definitely don't do a pile driver let alone two, back-to-back. -back. So an in-ring audible was called to end the match early and give the title to Phoenix. Moxley returned to action on AEW Collision last week, but even being out of action a month was difficult for him. I'm a very physical person. I like wrestling for the sake of wrestling. I like to do shit with my body. So, oh, sitting still and being injured is always very challenging. Now fully in the clear. I can't, I can't, I can't believe they put up with him up there as long as they did. Now, If he was talking like that around normal adult people in the business, I can't, I don't know how the fuck somebody didn't fucking go into business for themselves and just throw him out in the parking lot. Go ahead. Now fully in the clear. Moxley said the industry needs to adopt better safeguards to protect wrestlers in the ring. In pro wrestling, it's a really touchy subject. Moxley said, but acknowledged bluntly, somebody's got to fucking bring it up. <sighs> pro wrestling is such a strange thing. In <clears throat> football, if a guy goes down and doesn't go back to the huddle, you know he's fucked up. In pro wrestling, a lot of times it's hard to tell what's real and what's fake. Not when you're in the ring. Moving forward, Moxley has a vision for a new system that he thinks might work. Maybe a really experienced wrestler and a really experienced doctor who are trained to see signs of that shit are watching it on a separate feed. <laughs> Even if they have a doctor close to ringside. What if the guy fucking spills outside the ring? He doesn't see that. As, Mo 
as Moxley articulates, what the fuck? Both these he does. As Moxley, is that what you call that? Articulating. As Moxley articulates, these two hypothetical individuals would have no prior knowledge of what they were about to see. <sighs> the doctor and the wrestler are completely untethered to the creative portion of it. Oh, good lord! They have no idea nor any interest in what the story is. Who wins? Who loses? Who How cares? Long it's supposed to go. What is? What point is he making? So because they don't know what the guy's finish is, that means that they'll be able to better identify it when some motherfucker bashes another fucker's brains in. What? It, that anybody hasn't seen almost every fucking time these people are injured that they're injured. Moxley when he got fucking landed on by. Felix, the first time with the flip dive, got up and his legs were rubber and he went back down. And everybody could tell there. The referees are useless and feckless and dickless. And the fucking Felix comes from Luchador City where they probably land on each other 15 times a night and concuss each other. Nobody even knows. Didn't it happen Nobody to Danielson? Nobody knew what the fuck was going on there. Didn't it happen to Danielson once in WWE who was wrestling a match on Raw? And they thought he was concussed, and I think he was. And like Triple H actually came out to stop the match. Yes, I believe he did. And he was angry about it. He wanted to keep wrestling. And they're like, no, we're going to stop this. There's none of that in AEW. But here's the thing. Again, nobody knew what the, the, the viewers, the fans, the people watching television, the people in the arena, nobody knew what the finish was. They figured Moxley was going to keep the belt, because why would you switch it? But nobody knew how long it was supposed to go, and nobody knew what the finish was. And nobody knew what... Not even me. Foot, it, it, oh, exactly, as it come to find out. But they didn't. when I say they didn't know what the finish was, they didn't know, okay, three drop kicks, two hip tosses, a body slam, whatever the fuck. So if Moxley got his bell rung and couldn't hardly get up, then at the start, then if he was feeling well enough to continue, he should have known... At that point, let's not do this 15-minute match. This fucking guy just landed on my head and fucked me up. And we're going to do whatever the fuck in a small package. And then in the locker room, I'll tell him, well, you landed on my fucking head. And I didn't know what I was doing, so we just got out of it. Or he should have told the referee, because the referee's wired up to the goddamn back. He can hear Tony in the back at the gorilla position. And if Tony said, scratch your head if Moxley's okay, and the referee didn't scratch his head, or reverse, scratch your head if Moxley's hurt and he scratches his head, then Tony should have said, then tell him to fucking take it home. There's all kinds of things that could have gone on before it got to the point, including, as we mentioned when we talked about the match that Moxley had just hit Felix with two or three big moves, and covered him and got two counts, and then he just decides, wait a minute, I can't go on any longer. Beat me. What the... F no! Has anybody got any sense and experience at the same time in this situation? The answer we found out was no, none whatsoever. I thought the Blackpool Combat Club are the biggest, baddest team. Their fucking leader fled. 
And then you can't hit any of them in the face or they're out of action for months at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Let me uh, finish off this article here. All right, go. Yeah, please finish it off. Once again from The Messenger, watch out, Justin Barrasso. Looks like someone's moving in on your territory. Why does Moxley think a wrestler needs to be watching alongside the doctor, you might ask? He's got that answered, too. If a guy fucking spins around or something and the doctor goes, is he okay? The wrestler could tell him, that's just a pro wrestling thing. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, my God. Moxley's proposed system would make things as cut and dry as possible, no matter what it means for the overall competition. As soon as the doctor sees a sign of somebody being concussed, he just fucking hits the red button. Oh, Jesus Oh, no, I did that wrong. He just hits the fucking red button. Boom. This is over. No matter how much time is left. No matter if it's on live TV, it's just over. Why don't they give him a gong? And you figure it out from there. And you, fi- and you figure it out from there. You know what Moxley's like? The fucking Chick Donovan called a fucking spot one time with a guy. <laughs> as, he, as he shot the guy off, he said, one tackle, drop down, you finish it. And the guy's running the ropes going, what? What? That's the same. Yeah, and you figure it out from there. Sure, somebody's going to need to because you can't, you fucking pea brain moron. Oh my God, wait. We just have received word from Tony Khan. The red button has been pushed. Match is over. The match is over. Red button. The winner via red button. A cone comes down over the rig and then fog is shot into it as a decontamination. This guy's a simpleton. He's a simpleton, and he's got brain damage. You can tell. His brain has been damaged for the things he likes, the things he does, the things he says, whatever. But no, you don't need a doctor and a wrestler and a red button and a separate (laughs) fucking feed. And they know nothing about the booking. They can't know anything about what's going to happen. And uh, well, then in that case, how the fuck do they, if they know what the finish is when a guy gets dropped on his head and is laying there selling, they'll, well, he's supposed to. Fucking morons for that matter. But besides that, I've been in the business for fucking 40 years. And every time that I can ever remember being on a show or being doing commentary or being in a locker room, when somebody ever got fucking a concussion, they pretty much knew about it because the guy that got dropped on his head was, hey, grab a hold, I'm fucking hurt. One time, Bobby Fulton, I remember this, uh, the Fantastics against Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. Bobby got dropped or in some way landed on his head and finished the match, but then came in the locker room and didn't remember it. And then was freaking out because he couldn't remember finishing the match. But the the... Everybody it around the ring has a part to play in it without putting extra people out there. The referee, both guys working with each other. You can see on the monitor if some if something really looked bad. That's why the X sign from the referees came into being, and then everybody got smart to it. And then they started working it to work the people, but the referee would tell the the back stage gorilla position crew yes he's really fucked up and they would send instructions to the referee of how to immediately get out of it it's not all oh, well, we'll think about it and get back to you 
It, I, just, I, it, I have a well. I have an update here. An article from Sports Illustrated just came up. SI.com by Justin Barrasso. I bleed in the sunlight. John Moxley proposes new system to help with blood in wrestling. Uh, it's come to my attention that bleeding is wrong. It certainly has come to his attention. <laughs> I've got a concussion, so now I have ideas how to fix the whole business. In other words, no. Just have some people with some experience and some common sense and are looking for things. And to be honest again, I am going to say that I did eh, five, six years and I did 300 one hour OVW television programs that we aired here in Louisville over a six year period. And that was a wrestling school with the most inexperienced top to bottom crew that uh, that you would pretty much fine doing anything on any television level anywhere. And I know we had concussions in training. I don't remember a concussion ever happening on the television program. And I don't remember ever having to stop one of the matches because anybody was hurt for real. Imagine that. And if you go back to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, where I did 201-hour television episodes of that, Can you remember, you've seen most of those. Was anybody ever hurt for real to where we had to stop the match or switch up what the fuck was going on? Just the fact that I we're having remember. to think this hard yeah. I mean, indicates uh, it was rare. Kanemura kind of got hurt, but he asked for it. Well, yeah, that was, and he did it to himself. So I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, an accidental goddamn injury that was unforeseen and... You know, Jericho breaking his arm, but no one was there, and that was before he was show. in. He was practicing in the ring in an empty building and doing a flip that he didn't need to do that night. Again, a lot of this comes down to style, and I'm not saying everyone has to wrestle like Big John Stud. I don't want that. Yeah, <laughs> I like Bret Hart. Bret Hart was rarely ever injured for the majority of his career, and he wrestled good matches, physical matches. Well, look at what's happening It's now. wrestling smart. It's wrestling. It's not wrestling hard or soft. It's wrestling smart. Jerry Lawler had some of the most exciting matches over a 15-year period that was going on in wrestling and has had never had a major knee surgery, never had a... He had various injuries from taking some of those bumps, but never anything spinal, neck, broke his leg playing fucking football. football. Yeah, he didn't even hurt it in wrestling. He hurt it in football. Yeah. Never wore knee pads till he was past 40. And took some, and was run over by cars. For those of you who are young, quite literally, go Google Jerry Lawler hit by a car and you can see Eddie Gilbert run over him on live television in 1990. Yes. And as we've told, we'll finish the story and then we'll move on. The, so many people called the Memphis police to say they'd just seen a vehicular homicide on live television that the cops came to channel five and made Lawler go back out on the TV before the end of the show to say that he was alive and killed the angle. But anyway, so then we go back to collision where Ricky Starks with big bill took on our, our friend and former boy Dax Harwood with cash Wheeler. Why doesn't cash can work his ass off. Can they not spread these jobs around? Do they have to beat Dax every goddamn week? Has he ever won a singles match? 
Against has cash. cash. Has cash. Yeah, that's right. Against cash. And that's the only one cash has had. Yep. So between the two of them, they they can't whip anybody. So the House of Blech was in the arena watching the match. And I'm not talking about in the back or I'm in the, actually in the arena up in the general admission well, section. They weren't there until the lights went out. Well, of course, the lights have to go out so they can appear and then come back on. But in the stands, I mean, it's one thing if they're coming out the entranceway, then you can at least make some sense. They're running by. The lighting guy knows what he's doing. They're in the stands. They're buying popcorn. Yeah. And 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 the thing is, these hot heels, this top heel group, not one fan heckling them, fucking with them, trying to speak to them. They, they're looking around them like, yeah, you're moving. You're blocking my view of the fucking ring. And they watch the match and. It was a good match because both these guys are professional in, in ways that most of the other people on the AEW roster are not. It wasn't a great match in that, again, by the time that it was over with, they were hitting each other just back and forth with things. Can anything beat anybody? And finally, one of the worst looking things was the finish. But before that, you had me go back and look. At the exchange of pile drivers. Right, because you, when we first talked about this before, a couple days ago, uh, before time travel, you had seen the second pile driver, but you had fast forwarded, you know, inadvertently past the first one. Well, no, no, I didn't fast. I was making notes and I looked down. I didn't see because I was noting as, as he goes to pick him up for the pile driver. I guess I looked down at my pad and I heard, boom, he pile drives this. So I wrote, he pile drives him. And then 15 seconds later, Starks is up and giving his own pile driver, but I didn't see the form <laughs> of the of Dax's pile driver. What'd you think now that you've seen it? Well, in all honesty, I would have rather taken that that way than the one Starks gave him. And I will tell you why. Yeah, explain. If anybody wants to go back and look at the finish of this match after they've done all this other stuff, Dax goes to give Stark's a pile driver and he puts Stark's head between his legs and he grabs him around the middle and he picks him up. When he picked him up, it looked, and I still, I'm thinking either the, either they wanted to do this this way or Dax saved it, one or the other. Because what it looked like was Stark's didn't know how to, once he went up, how to take the pile driver. And I can't believe nobody's ever pile driven him before, but he, Instead of keeping his head between Dax's legs, his thighs, and his hands on Dax's knees where he could post up and brace up, he, he just let go of the legs and his head came out and Dax had him picked up completely upside down where his head was hanging and his feet were straight up in the air. But his, his head and his arms were dangling free. And when Dax jumped up, if you go back and look, I've, you know, again, I'm trying to dissect this without knowing whether this was a save or on purpose. But what Dax did was when he jumped and he sat down, his, his legs were straight out underneath Starks' shoulders. And Starks bowed, uh, tucked his chin so that basically, and threw his arms out to the side so that Starks's shoulders landed on Dax's thighs and knees, and Starks's head was not pointing straight down. His chin was tucked. So basically, Dax kind of power bombed him on his fucking legs. 
You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It it was a save, but I wouldn't I wouldn't advocate for trying that free-handed all the time because there's room for error. It looked really bad. And I was surprised when they followed that up with another pile <laughs> That seems to be well, the thing in AEW. When you hurt someone with a pile driver, when it looks like you did, just do it again. Just do it again. Yeah. Someone well, else but, do it. But in this, in this instance, the guy that got pile driven and it looked like it hurt him 15 seconds later was up after the distraction and gives Dax a pile driver and beats him with it. And that pile driver looked worse because and and I'll talk about this. Some people can't give a pile driver. I it, there's there's moves that even the greatest wrestler in the world can't do always, all the time. And there's two other people that could that did shitty pile drivers, and I'm gonna tell you who they were: Bobby Eaton and Ric Flair. You didn't want either one of those fucking guys to pile drive you. And the reason what with Flair, I think it came from the the back injury and the way that he learned to take bumps at the side. But have you ever seen Flair give a leg drop? A leg drop, not a, a leg drop. knee drop. A leg drop. Leg drop. Have you ever seen Flair leap up in the air and land flat on his ass? I can't think of ever seeing that, no. Okay, well, then you got to do that or at least go flat on your ass even if you're not jumping to give a pile driver. And Flair didn't do that. He would bend a leg or bend both legs every time he gave a pile driver. And he only did it when it was part of the angle. It wasn't like he did them in regular matches. That's why you see him very seldom. By the way, he was also awful at taking pile drivers. Well, yes, because I, uh, again, potentially, maybe it was at his neck, back, whatever the fuck. But with Bobby, think about the, the guy with the greatest leg drop off the top that would land flat, right? But this went back to the days when he was a single in Memphis, and we used to talk about it in the car. He said, Corny, I can't do it. Every time Bobby tried to give somebody a pile driver, he would not be able to keep both his legs straight and land flat on his ass. He would bend, trying to think in my mind's eye, he would bend his right leg and he would go over to the side. He is like the gymnast that they they get... Their confidence shaken and they don't know where they are oriented in the air, whatever they call that in the gymnastics world. There, it's sometimes if even a great athlete, if he can't see something in his head or it's not natural to him to move a certain way, he can't do that move. And so Bobby would only do a pile driver when it was called for in the finish or an angle or whatever. But that's what Starks did. He bent at least one, if not both of his legs, instead of going down flat and was going to the side. And since he still had Dax's head between his thighs, that's more dangerous when the legs are bent and you're not sure how you're going to land and the guy is going to the side with your head in between his legs. Now, does that make sense to you? It does. Well, there you go. But the finish didn't. <laughs> so... And by the way, whatever happened, didn't the Young Bucks win a tag title shot? Well, yeah, but who wants to see the Young Bucks against Ricky Starks and Big Bill? I'm not saying anyone does. But I'm just talking about the yeah. actual booking. They won well, the that, tag title shot, and then FTR lost the belts, and now we haven't heard a word about the Young Bucks again. Well, that's because they figured out what they wanted to do the next week. Anyway, it's not over. Because the lights went out. And then Julia Hart appeared in a spotlight wearing a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer nose. 
Before you say that, earlier when the House of Black appeared in the stands, they said on commentary, either Shivani or Kevin Kelly, Julia's on the stage, but we never saw it. And then when they showed her again at this point later on, they kind of pretended like they never said that earlier. Well, yeah, because they blew their, their, their surprise reveal. But why was she wearing a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer red nose? Was more prominent in my mind. I don't know. I didn't notice that. You didn't notice the big glowing fucking red glob on her nose when she's in the spotlight. Now I can't tell if you're actually talking about a thing or if like, she just had a pimple or something. I don't no, know. it was a big glowing red something on her nose, a light of some kind. I'm not, I'm not even. Do you have a fever, sir? It was a glowing red light. No, I'm not even, I'm not even trying to rib you. It's a. I'm going back so, to the video right now. <clears throat> well, while you do that, I'll, I'll move on that the, once she was in the spotlight and had her nose red, then she made a gesture and turned the lights out. And then the lights came back on and the house of black were in the ring and all the heels turned around to stare at FTR. But then more music played and out came, I can't pronounce the name of their faction, LaFuckers and Goobers with Preston Vance. And they, they, they're back from their murder spree in Mexico that we saw on video a couple months ago. And then they got in the ring and faced off with FTR. And now it's looking like it's fucking 11 against two. But then LaFuckers and Goobers turned around and attacked all the heels. And they had a big sloppy fight all over the ring and ringside area where the stray floor camera revealed half the arena was empty. And then the heels left. Have you got to... Yeah, it's, it's, it's the light. Whatever lighting setup they had there, the red light, I guess, came through her hat and hit her nose. Came through her hat? What, have they got a, a fucking scope, a, a sniper scope on her? I don't know. It's kind of what it looked like. It was the reflection of the red light. And now here comes Lo, La Faction Ingobernale. La Fuckers and Goobers. The fact that Preston Vance was leading the charge really kind of took it a step down. It should have been Roosh, the first but one But you were there. calling that a charge? Well. More like a purposeful walk. This is horrible. Again, it's just faction warfare with factions no one cares about. <sighs> so then they had a backstage interview with Andrade, who said something. I'm not sure exactly what. And then Chris Statlander now. I believe, said, I believe he said, let me out of my contract. It, that, that maybe I heard something to the words of I'll do anything. Uh, Statlander, she's the adult in the room. She's trying to talk to Willow Nightingale and Blue Sky about settling their issues because there's tension. And then Willow and Blue Sky did some amateur night at the improv stuff or other just had some conversation. Well, did you hear what they said? The problem apparently started after Julia blew the mist into Sky Blue's eyes, and now she's kind of more dark than she's been. Yeah. That's what we needed. Yeah. We need dark, dark blue sky. Well, you know what they say, red skies at night, sailors delight, dark blue sky in the morning. You ain't going to get laid. That's not what they say. Well, somebody said it. And then Claudio beats somebody. That'll teach him to say that stuff. I didn't even get this guy's name. I'd never seen him before. And then Samoa Joe again set up the main event telling MJF he'll, he will 
be at his beck and call. He'll be his friend as long as MJF gives him a return title shot. And MJF is not, not being accepted to this so far, or accepting, I should say. And then we got to our main event, Brian. And it was a long-awaited main event of the evening also, Brian, as we talked about earlier in the program. We, we waited for this bad boy for 13 whole days. Actually, we didn't really wait for it because we anticipated it for 13 days because all they did was make a veiled comment about 13 days to start it out. Actually, uh, to correct you, it turns out it goes back even further. Oh? MJF also whispered something into Kenny's ear on the Young Bucks program being the elite on YouTube, apparently. <laughs> so they teased it there about a week or two weeks before it was teased on TV. So the maybe a couple hundred thousand people, I'm not sure, who watched that, they at least would know there was some kind of tease without a direct reference. And I believe they would be preaching to the choir uh, defined because anybody that watches that program, they're, they're there. They're in the pew already. Pew. Pew, pew. <laughs> but anyway, so for the AEW world title, we had MJF against Twinkle Toes McFinger Bang. And, of course, this match was officially announced the previous Wednesday. And you made the point, Brian, regardless of what I or any other right-thinking human being thinks about Kenny, he is a big name in their universe, in their, well, solar system, maybe not galaxy, in their little world. He's a big name. Cluster of SARS. I don't even think they're a cluster. Well, maybe they're a cluster but not of stars. Nevertheless, and all that, they, they gave us an announcement three days ahead of time and put it on free television, not even on their A show, but on the B show that don't be too good anymore. Against the World Series. Oh, and, and that for the, for the folks that watch the baseball, there's that. And for this match, I swear to God, Harpo came out of course, we're talking about our friend Kenny came out wearing pink boots and a pink feathered jacket with his hair in a top knot, and he looked like an artichoke having a gender reveal party. It Does he have somebody make these outfits for him on purpose to look preposterous? Uh, maybe in Thailand. I'm not exactly sure. Is he trying to do Seth Franklin freaking Rollins? Well, you, could, you could argue he was doing the wacky stuff in a sense before Rollins, actually. Well, true. Um, I will say, beyond, you know, any jokes about what he's wearing or anything, he doesn't look very healthy right now. He, uh, maybe that's not the way to put it. He looks... He looks the same way he always looked to me. He, he looks like he, he doesn't... He's not a smiling baby face, nor is he a fiery baby face. He's a confused-looking baby face that then goes into pulling funny faces, as they say across the pond, in the later stages of his match and bugs his eyes out a lot. Looks like the fucking Ultimate Warrior without the goddamn, you know, fucking rest of his body. He's puffing and huffing. And and then otherwise, he's just got that hangdog expression that Harley had when she had her infection. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but he just, he doesn't look as... Uh... Spry? As healthy. I don't know. There's something just... Ah, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. 
Well, the question of this match that I had in my mind was, is MJF good enough and smart enough to make Kenny look like a wrestler instead of a video game character? And that, the answer to that was going to hinge and depend on whether or not they had MJF's match or they had Kenny's match. And unfortunately, they started out having MJF's match and degenerated into Kenny's match. And MJF, when he's in there with a pro that understands the business and has had some experience in proper places instead of wrestling fucking blow-up dolls and marital aids all the time, Danielson, Punk, he had classics with. MJF is, always has the match that's a wrestling match that is built on psychology, that makes sense from start to finish and takes people on a ride and gets emotion. And this was, at least it turned into by the way before the end of it, it degenerated into a goddamn video game outlaw indie match that Kenny is a specialist in. And all it did was risk MJF's goddamn neck when he's their golden goose right now. And we can go through a few fucking specifics, but that's what I thought about the whole goddamn thing. It was ridiculous what they did. In the timing of when they're doing it, or unless Tony's planning on buying his own private hospital. I don't know. Am I being cranky? Did you like it? You, you have a tendency to tolerate Kenny. I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was one of the best Omega matches, and I didn't think it was one of the best MJF matches. I thought they worked fine together considering the constraints that were going to be there, which are Kenny works a specific way. And MJF would more than likely try to find a way to work with him and to eventually get something out of that that he wanted. He was trying. And, you know, I said it before, we were talking about the different guys that have been injured. Every single, just about every single top guy in that company has gone down at least once, if not twice, except MJF. And you see a match like this, whether it's against Omega or anyone, because we've seen some of this kind of stuff before whether it's him landing on his neck or landing on his knee or landing on his back. There's only so much more of that you can do before you're really going to feel it. And there was a lot of that in this match that made me uncomfortable. And it turned into an Omega match. I mean, yeah. And I get, I like like that more than you do, but it just, you know, you do your thing. I do my thing. They did the yay boo spot at the end. At least MJF was selling. He was wobbly legged. Right. So it worked, but it's almost, still... Almost too much, But to they get honest. They get to a point in these matches where it's not over, and it probably should be, because the fans get built up to a point where they're ready for it. There was one point in this match, I don't remember the specific example, it seemed like the fans were ready, and then it didn't happen as a finish. It's not that they booed or stopped watching, they kept watching, they stopped making noise. Like they were waiting for something else yeah. to happen now. They they get it right, and then they go too far. But that's the thing. It started out, it made sense. MJF was getting cheers with his eye poke and blah, 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 and he even did a dive. And that made sense, but then here's my problem, not with MJF trying to do so much of Twinkle Toes' stuff, is that all of that shit that Kenny does is so contrived and awkward offense. It's not wrestling. It's not natural movements. It's running and drop kicking legs and turning his back on the guy and making a face and then running in another direction and swooping around. And 
it it makes a worker like MJF have to stand there and wait. Kenny's timing is not good. He's it's timing for gymnastics, not wrestling. I don't know the difference because I don't know gymnastics. But he's either standing there and waiting or positioning himself to a an obvious degree because the guy can't do anything, just do it. He's got to run and gesticulate and hit the ropes and make movements and it throws the timing of everything. MJF is the only one that's going to know whether I'm right or wrong, but that's my assessment from watching is you can't get in a flow with him because he's always doing this awkward, weird shit. You know what else hit me watching this? And I've said things about this in the past, but I don't know how much longer Omega is going to be able to do this. He looks like he's in a lot of pain. Everything he does in the ring now, nothing's coming easy. Not that it should look easy, but well, it, it looks like it looks like it's caught up with him bad. Well, let's talk about Ke- he. They're having a match. MJF makes a little comeback. The biggest pop was on head biting, and the kangaroo kick. But then Kenny stops him, and he gets out of the ring and pulls out a table, out from under the ring. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm, I'm thinking. The best heel in the business is working as a comedic babyface, and the biggest douchebag in the business is now going to do furniture spots with him for no reason out of nowhere. It's not a no-DQ match. It's, this is not a blood feud. For fuck's sake, the guy got poked in the eye, so his response is attempted murder. But then he sets the table up on the floor, and then they get in the ring and start having the match again. So what purpose did then they get back out and fight on the apron? above the table so that everybody knows they're going to go through it here in a minute. And Kenny gives MJF the begonia suplex or the marigold suplex, a snapdragon, whatever on the apron. But he took the brunt of it uh, because it's landing on his own back of his head too. But then the referee stands there slack jawed gawking as they're on the apron for well over a minute, not counting. And then Kenny awkwardly gets him up because they can't maneuver on the apron and power bombs MJF off the apron through the table on his head through to the floor. And then they sell that and both of them are on the floor for the entire 90 second break that they took as Tony Schiavone was pointing out. They've been out of the ring for almost three minutes by the time they come back and they still weren't counted out and the match wasn't stopped. And nobody's get, getting carried out on a stretcher because they were in commercial because it's fake and they're stupid and they still had 13 minutes on the air to wrestle after doing a hospitalization angle. Uh. And then they were doing the ridiculous Twinkle Toes, backwards Hurricane Rana's back and forth, again risking MJF's health for no reason, for no return. The ratings are going to be the same as they always are on this show. The house live was pathetic, and there were no pay-per-view buys, so they're just doing this for free. And they're going to let fucking Twinkle Toes hospitalize the Golden Goose. And then they would do the high-impact stuff where one would take a move and then get up 10 seconds later and then give the other something. And then it it just it went so long, like you said, more, more, more. And then Kenny pranced and gesticulated and did the knee lifts and went for the one-winged fairy. 
And then Don Fallis comes out and distracts Kenny. And then they go back to the match. And Don tries to draw the referee, and the referee makes him leave. <laughs> and they went back to the match. Don did nothing. And nobody won while Don was there. And then they do back-and-forth roll-ups. And MJF hits a heat seeker and gets a two-count. And I wrote, what is this rotten finish? Don did nothing. What's going on? MJF goes for a Panama Sunrise. Kenny foils it and gets a two-account. Uh, two-account. A two-count was something. And then MJF tried it again and hit it. The Panama Sunrise. Then the Heat Seeker. One, two, three. So we now know that Kenny can't do a normal match. And you can't, even if you're one of the better workers in the business, do Kenny's match and make it come out palatable. And... Again, there whether the power bomb on uh, through the table, or whether a couple of these other goofy things that they were doing. Uh, again, now if they want to hurt MJF. He's the only one they got left. They might as well fold up for six months and rehab everybody at the same time. Your thoughts? I kind of gave them earlier. I thought it was good, but it wasn't one of the better. Shouldn't say one of the better. It wasn't a top tier MJF match. It wasn't a top tier Omega match. But it was good. The fans there seemed to be into it. Me, I would have had it as the main event on something people would pay for. Yeah. You know, WWE, it's a little different because it's a subscription-based model right now for their premium live events. One of the few successes AEW has is pay-per-view. Yeah. And they're adding more. They just announced <laughs> another one for the end of December. And they put this one on collision against the World Series. Do you want to see this match again in a rematch now that we've seen it once? No, they would have to tell some kind of interesting story to make me want to see this again. Well, then in that case, that, ex that includes Kenny out. Well, that was AEW Collision, and this is a sad, uh, sad ending to your show, I guess. Well, it certainly was, but we're going to perk everybody up this coming week on the drive-thru, because that's your show, and you'll just be all happy and peppy and bursting with love for everybody, right? That's right. All right. Well, until then, folks, we're going to take a short break. Before we do this again, we're going to watch some more bad wrestling, and then we're going to come back on Brian's show with your questions, too. And in parting, besides love, peace, and soul, we wish you thank you. Fuck you. Bye-bye, everybody.